Combing the Stacks podcast, your go-to podcast for six decades of music, three albums at a time. Each decade, we cover over 200 albums spanning all musical genres and tastes, from the well-known acts to the cult favorites. Your tour guides on this journey are John, Josh, and Matt, three amateur music podcasters who all share a love of music and a shared quest to hear the next great album. And now, we head into the Stacks. Hello there, after a two-week hiatus, your fix of the Combing the Stacks music podcast is officially back. It is the evening of July 27th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I am John, joined as always by our hosts, Josh and Matt. You've been played into this segment by another individualized clip that Josh picks every week. I just want to give him a shout out for what a great job he's doing in varying it up. He's a birthday boy as of last week, too. Woo-hoo. Josh, how's life, my man? Not too shabby. Guess who's back? Back <laughs> again. Combing the stacks. <laughs> back from Bend. <laughs> See, and now we have uh, Matt and jo- uh, John sing the hits, but we got a yep. special added. Josh sings the intro right there. I'm the so. weird owl of Combing the Stacks. The Just weird owl. Uh, white and nerdy, right? Is that yep. what we're going through? That exactly. Is. So, and also known as uh, Baby Driver, I believe, oh, uh, yeah. Josh Goss, if we go That's to season right. one. So he has multiple nom de plumes. A man that needs no nom de plume is our friend Matt, the veteran member of our amateur podcast. Matt, how the, are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm the old member. Yeah. I'm the old member. Sage. And, uh, yeah. I have, wis- I, have, I have wisdom. Um, to impart. 
Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of bummed because I was supposed to. I've uh, been training for. I've been doing this last couple of years. Been doing a 100 mile relay race oh, right. with uh, five other friends. And um, okay, so you so split the hundred miles. You don't do mm -hmm. all of them. You're not Correct. Like a super marathoner at this stage of your life. No, okay. no, 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 no. You do. There's six of us. You. Do, everybody does three different legs. Anywhere from three to eight miles, I guess, okay. each leg. I think you run like a total of 14 or 15. But anyway, yeah, so we were supposed to do this in a couple of weeks, but um, it just started like one dude just texted us like, yeah, my back's really not good. And somebody else is their hamstring. And it was like somebody else had COVID. So they're trying to so all like Jesus. six of us are like are all out for the count. So we're like, yeah, let's, let's not do that. Let's do oh, this this you, year. Were so. you out for the count or were you OK? But just the amount of people in your team. I, I was I I could have done it. Um, okay. My hip's been bothering me. Um, I, I've also been running after eye surgery, which is not really good either. So it's probably good that I stopped doing that. Wait, why um, is that well, not good? Because it like because my eye's still not fully recovered. So like all the blood, like the blood flow, like you know the swelling oh, the of the pressure, eye and everything man, like Jesus. that. Totally, yeah. So, um, so well, yeah. You know, so you know what I'm they old. say, Matt. Hips What's don't that, lie, so you gotta listen to it, my, <laughs> my friend. Shakira, Shakira. <laughs> Shakira, Shakira. Yeah, so that's my friend Shakira telling you that. It, actually, no, that's Wyclef, isn't it? Like, who's? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. so, are we covering Shakira at all in our podcast? We are actually. Nice. Believe it or not, in the in the two thousands, when we get there in sixteen years, we will be covering a Shakira album. I'd like to say what it is, but it's Spanish words that I'd have to pay more attention to but we are covered. Shakira was in the Rolling Stone top 500 that's oh, how I know ah. mm -hmm. we should Shakira. have uh, if we still also, had a Twitter feed we should have posted Kate McKinnon doing her Shakira <laughs> uh, impressive impersonation Shakira also a stone cold fox and probably one of my favorite videos ever the video where she and a very hunky South American guy are looking in their apartment windows at each other and Shakira's like slicing onions and the other guy's like making like a spice rub on meat and stuff and their La Tatora is the name the torture is like is there and it's like the ultimate hilarious song because there's these two incredibly good looking people like basically like using voyeurism and cooking to like illustrate that they want a bone so I would awesome. check it. That's the video recommendation of the week. La to Tortura. Or, uh, yeah, Tortura. Also, Shakira's Colombian, right? Isn't she? Yes, uh, Colombiana. You, you, yes. We're almost there. Could have seen with, her. With hints of Middle East, I think, are in uh, there as okay. well. Yes. So, she's, yeah. She's a global icon. She is. She's my global icon. So, I love <laughs> Shakira. So, okay. Well, we, as good as Shakira is, we also have some great albums this week. Each week, I sort of balance out one person introduces, and the next person at the end will talk about what we're covering next week. So, this week, we'll have uh, Josh introduce our albums this week, and later on, Matt will play us out with what we're covering next week. So, Josh, what are we covering this week? Yes, we are in the year 1982 on the main shows and we're starting off with donald fagan's the night fly followed by duran duran's rio and ending with iron maiden's the number of the beast and these are all debutantes unless you consider the fact that we did steely dan right, right. to be donald fagan but in terms of as an act this will be the first time we're covering each of them so that will be exciting um we also have my favorite segment of the podcast, John and Matt Sing the Hits, which we'll do slightly before the album reviews. But before we get to that, we normally check this day in history with Matt, and we also clean the stacks. So do any of you guys have any cleaning this week of previous episode stacks? You've had two weeks to accumulate the knowledge. 
I don't remember what we talked about in our last episode, so I don't have anything to clean. <laughs> I'm just starting a with a clean vacation. slate. So no cleaning. We just basically took a vacation from engaging with the co- the podcast, which is good. I think our listeners may have as well. So no cleaning of this week. Matt, do you have any history for us this week? I have a, I have some history, yes. Okay. So Great. the floor is yours, my friend. All right, so not too much on this day in, in music history, but a couple of things here. Uh, 1958, 64 years ago, uh, a group of researchers from a place called the Esso Gas Company said that the rhythm of rock and roll could cause drivers to be foot heavy on the pedal, making them waste fuel. So um, I'm not sure if they're listening, especially if they're listening to uh, Turn the Page by Bob Seger, I think, is <laughs> well, probably what they're saying. Yeah, but they are. They didn't even have that back. I mean, this is this is 1958. <laughs> you know, this is like before any albums that CTS ever covered. So this is. I like... can't drive 55 by Sammy Hagar <laughs> yes. later. Exactly. Did he cite that study in his anecdotal uh, I, evidence? For oh, that? maybe I don't know. But this traveler. is this is mostly like Buddy Holly and like Little Richard and stuff like that. You know, so. So yeah, so they're like, don't. So they were warning music fans to uh, that turning your your music on in the car is bad for the environment so um that's yes yeah. wow i'm surprised they didn't say listen to more music so you can use more gas and come to our associations yeah that was bef- yeah. that was back when uh <laughs> oil companies like wanted to help the environment so um did, did they okay i don't know i'm just <laughs> also what's going up. on with all these societal changes can we talk about that for a little bit <laughs> oh, that's yet so yeah. uh 46 years ago actually two things happened 46 years ago in 1976 first off Bruce Springsteen sued his manager Mike Appel for fraud and breach of trust. Um, the case dragged on for a year and for over a year. We talked about this in our Bruce Springsteen Do you remember uh, talking coverage. About that? Which Bruce Springsteen album was held up for a, a while while this uh, lawsuit was going on? Was it Darkness, Darkness on the Edge of Town? It was Darkness on yeah, the Edge yeah. of Town. Yeah, the uh, Mike Appel had to agree upon the a producer, and Bruce Springsteen wanted no part of his input, so he just. Yes. That where John Didn't Landau record. took over as his manager, right? Uh, he eventually did take over. Yes, yep. yeah. So, um, so also forty-six years ago in nineteen seventy-six, Tina Turner finally filed for divorce from her husband Ike, ending their violent sixteen-year marriage uh, and successful musical partnership. So, um, that was probably a good thing for Tina Turner mm-hmm, to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, 36 years ago in 1986, Queen, I found this kind of interesting, not something I never would have thought about before, really. So but 36 years ago, that was, you said 86? Yeah. Queen okay. be- became the first Western act since Louis Armstrong, uh, who did this in 1964, to actually perform in Eastern Europe when they played uh, in Budapest, Hungary. Um, mm-hmm. And the, 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 the gig was filmed and released as queen magic in budapest so i know that um, queen used to get in trouble quite a bit because like they played in like apartheid south africa oh yeah all of these places that a lot of other people kind of were like "Mm, i don't know if it was like them and like eric clapton (laughs) 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 which is on is on form is on brand i I know that often when i was doing my research on queen when we covered them they uh like they often were sort of like they're gonna play behind the iron curtain which probably looks better now than it did then but like we're right. gonna play in like apartheid south africa maybe not so much so yeah 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 so it was like over 20 years be, be, uh, since any 
Western artist performed in Eastern Europe. So, and uh, then of course it was like five years until David Hasselhoff brought down the Berlin Wall when he gave his concert. <laughs> pretty much so that probably set the stage for that. I think pretty pretty much that's right. That's a that's and the Norman Battle also thing, right? Winds of change mm-hmm. as well. So that's right. Scorpions they were around in like 1962. I think. yeah, we found <laughs> out that their their oh, band lifespan was like 50 years, and we were just yeah. amazed by that. Yeah. So, yeah. yep. So. Yep. Yep. Um, no birthdays of note, really. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that's all for the history. All okay. right. Well, Josh, you get to take us into the next segment then, my friend. All right. It's everyone's favorite segment. Matt and John sing the hits. The segment where I pick a Billboard chart from the week that one of our albums that we discussed this week was released. This week I chose the week of October 2nd, 1982, when... Donald Fagan's Nightfly came out. So this okay. is the Billboard chart for that week. Do you guys like starting at the top or do you want me to go in reverse? Let's go purpose? reverse. I like okay. building to the crescendo. <laughs> nice. Okay. Matt, unless I don't want to speak for you though. I want you to No, that's what I was going to say. Okay. okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to make the decision for both of us. It's well, let's start at number 10. 24 weeks on the chart. We've got John Cougar's Hurt So Good. Come on, Hurt baby. So good. <laughs> Come on, baby, baby make it hurt so good. Sometimes love don't feel like it should. Because it hurts so good. Wow, we did the clap at the same time. Nice. Nice. Highest uh, Charting highest at number two. It's now dropped to number ten. Next, we got... I always think of that song, by the way, on those old videos the NFL used to release where dudes would get, like, crushed. It's that you could never do anymore, and it would be like to hurt so good, and a dude would be like turned inside out and flipped, or like nailed by a free safety and like borderline paralyzed. <laughs> like it would be like to the soundtrack of "Hurt So Good" by John Mellencamp. Yeah, the NFL so, Films uh, yes. catalog. You, it's hard to find them nowadays for clear, obvious reasons, but you can still <laughs> dig through YouTube and find things that I used to watch, like. At least once a month, like NFL's Tackles leading with the head. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Guided missiles, basically. All right. Number nine, nine weeks on the chart so far, is Michael McDonald's I Keep Forgetting. Parentheses every time you're I'm not in love anymore. (laughs) That's how that one, the chorus is. Yeah. I can't can't do it. I didn't know. I don't know that song. Most famously, uh, Mm -hmm. the uh, sample for... Warren G's Regulate is Regulate. off of this yep. song. So oh. when, as soon as you hear the song, that's the yep. first thing I the cool I can always think of that. Yeah, LBC like, on a mission just to find mm-hmm. Mr. Warren G. Trying to find Mr. Warren G, I believe. <laughs> Whatever. So it's the same thing. From the uh, Above the Rim soundtrack. Yes. For, and then later put on Regulate dot 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 the G-Funk era. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also sampled yes. in that song was a uh, monologue from uh, Young Guns. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're right. But I'm two for two, my friend, and being able to yep. sing choruses here. Uh, you're, you're on a you're hot streak. Number hot eight streak. is Jackson Brown, Somebody's Baby. I'll give it to you, Matt. Um, Ooh, she's gonna be somebody's <laughs> nice. only light. Gonna shine tonight. 
Isn't that from Fast Times at Ridgemont yep, High? That's sure exactly is. what I associate yeah. it with. Yeah. Jennifer Jason Lee gets it on in the dugout with that yeah. other dude. And then gets pregnant that and has an abortion, yeah. which yep. she can't do anymore in <laughs> <Just like> 25 <laughs> states. <laughs> which is still... Oh, that's right. No, she got... That was at the pool house. She she got it on the at a couple house, of places yes. in that movie. Oh, right, and every right. time she got it on, they played that song. So that's Gosh, the well, she only tale. got it on with the guy once in the pool house. And then it was right, alluded but, that, that she was going to get it Yeah, Damone, though, right? He's the one Yeah, but then... But there was a guy in the dugout at the beginning, too, that I think, weren't they playing that song when she got it on in the dugout? She I, didn't get it on with the guy. She only had sex. She lost her virginity to Damone in the pool house. Yeah. I'm going to have to clean the stack. Somebody <laughs> got it on in a dugout. I thought no, it was I, her. I, I know what you're talking about. I think she was there. I don't remember what happened. Didn't she We're cleaning get, that like, stack. felt up yeah. or something? Like, I don't think she went all the way, my friend. Yeah. Oh, I just remember seeing her boobs, so... For me, when I saw the movie at like eight years old, Phoebe I was Gates like, "Phoebe boobs or no Jennifer, Jennifer Jason, Jason Lee. Lee's?" Okay, that Got must it. have been overwhelming for you to see two yes. sets of. I saw it when I was like eight. I remember I was at my uncle's house and a bunch of like my uncle and my parents, everybody went out to dinner and they were like, oh, like here's some movies. Like you should watch, you ever seen Fast Times? You should watch that. I was like, okay. And I'm like watching this going like, like, now your nuts are going to drop or something that they would have said in the eighties, you know? I was like, do my parents know what this movie's about? I can't imagine that they would be okay with me watching this. I I was probably a little older. I was probably like 11 or 12, but still. Um, Yeah. Judge Reinhold. Judge Reinhold. My name is Judge. <laughs> Sean Penn, among others, all kinds of luminaries in that movie. Oh, yeah. The taciturn guy who was the teacher, who I always forget his name, but he's like a character actor in just about everything. So Not Ben you know. Stein, the other guy. No. Mr. Hand. Vincent Chiafria, I think his name is Vincent Chiafria. Okay. Um, okay, number seven. Mm-hmm. Seven weeks on the chart so far. It is. Men at Works. Who can it be now? Who can it be now? Exactly. The sax is like. I don't know what it is. It just sounds like Australian. Wait, that was number seven? Yep, that was number seven. Wait, how many of these are we doing? We're doing all ten this week. Oh, we are doing all ten. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I thought we were Both doing five. Both work songs, by the way, that are famous because there's also Down Under are like mm-hmm. that exact thing where it's like Australian stuff that you don't know what it is, followed by poppy like chorus that you can't not sing. Basically, I still don't you know, know what a Vegemite sandwich is. It's that Veg- nasty like yeah. like plant spread. Vegemite's a yeast based. Uh, oh, is that the original uh, like Beyond Impossible Burger? No, it's way grosser than so. that. <laughs> I've never eaten it, but it looked nasty. So. Oh, I was wrong. It's it's been thirteen weeks on the chart. Uh, this is its peak position. So number six is uh, I'll warn you, a song I never heard of before. It's the Alan Parsons Project, "Eye in the Sky." Do you guys know that? All song? I know of Alan Parsons Project is that song the Bulls used to come out to in the nineties. Right. Yeah, that's Alan Parsons. <laughs> I, yeah, wasn't he a producer? I think he produced for Pink Floyd too. He did. Yep, and yeah. the Beatles apparently. I saw. I right. don't know that song though, yeah. and I know it's. I think the song the Beatles or the Beatles the um, the Bulls came out to. I think it was called like Exodus or something. So I, mm. yeah, I don't know that. I don't. I don't know Alan that, that song either. Yeah, this was off their highest charting album apparently, and uh, I didn't recognize any other songs on it when I was listening. But it's hmm. it's a it's an interesting tune. It's a little proggy, I would say. Um, maybe a little experimental. All right, number five is Melissa Manchester's You Should Hear How She Talks About You. Do you guys know that song? <laughs> Hell no, I, don't. I do not know that song, I have you to should. say. 
It she, is very synthy. It's like kind of a reinvention of her. I was listening to her greatest hits earlier because I was like, who is this woman? Um, but she, uh, she, the I'm song that Google I, it. the song that I, I recognize. Too, yeah. That's John. <laughs> I get her John type it away. Yeah. I have to look to hear what this. Michelle wow, who? Uh, Melissa Manchester. Oh, Miss Melissa Manchester. Nope. The song so. that I recognized was um, Don't Cry Out Loud. Don't cry out loud. That oh, I know her. that. Um, you should hear all she talks about you. Melissa Manchester. This is where you can yes. do it. Wow. This is quite the 80s. Yes. Like, it's a like, bopping. Uh, well, it. no, quite the 80s picture on the thing. So, all right. So I'm going to go in now and I'm going to try to do my best to approximate what it sounds <laughs> okay. like. There's a thunderous, thunderous drum at the beginning, followed by like, dum, 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 dum. So it's kind of like Matt. It sounds like girls been spreading the word, like that type sounds kind it's of. It's pretty so. catchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely like an '80s one-hit wonder type sound. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also like to do the first comment in YouTube to get an idea. And the first one says, such a quintessential 80s song, it sounds like the whole decade encapsulated into one song. <laughs> so, <laughs> that might be true. Sometimes the first comment in YouTube is the best one. So yep. there you go. So, But yep, can't say I know that one. Yeah. I, uh, number four, 18 weeks on the charts, Survivor's Eye of the Tiger. I can probably sing that entire song, and I will not right here, but I believe it goes, Rising up, back to the top, <laughs> to yep. my time, took my chances. An all-timer, and uh, one that will I always be on top. workout mixes and stadium anthems and, and all Rocky sorts three. of things. Yep. Rocky Three, also one of Hulk Hogan's earliest walkout musics in wrestling. Oh, interesting. Eye of the Tiger, yep, before he got real American, so there you go. All kinds of stuff. Great song. Great workout song. So number three on the charts is Hard to Say I'm Sorry by Chicago. 18 weeks on the charts this Oh, God. Do you know this song? Hard to Say I'm Sorry. No. Mm -hmm. Is this before Peter Cetera? Uh, No, this is Peter Cetera. This This is is Peter Peter Cetera, Cetera, my friend. I am a man who will fight for (laughs) your honor. That's that's the glory of love. It's it's like... like, (laughs) After all, I've been alive. Oh, that's, yeah, that's like yeah. hard to say. I'm sorry. Is, oh, that, is yeah. that that one, Josh? Right. Yes. So it's, it's, it's so hilarious that you sang that, Matt, because I was yeah. like, I listened to the song. I was like, wow, this sounds like the glory of love. And then sure enough, he wrote <laughs> this song and the glory of love. Well, yeah. yeah. So. It's like Peter Cetera is kind of like when I do my Michael McDonald voice. That like every song kind of sounds the same because he's got Peter Cetera voice. Mm-hmm. So you kind of can always know what the song's like by just doing a general Peter Cetera, <laughs> like impersonation. Yep. So, yeah. Good old Pete. Number so. two this week is Abracadabra by the Steve oh. Miller Band. Oh. <laughs> uh, 19 go, weeks at the chart. I can't the go down. <laughs> and I, it's a, I just know chorus. Do you want to do it together, Matt? Yep. I protest so. this song. This song Abra, sucks. Abracadabra. I want to reach, reach out, out and grab you. Yeah. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Rock and Roll <laughs> Hall of Fame, Steve <laughs> yep. Miller, everybody. Yep. An album uh, covered Steve Miller back in the mm. 70s on a cool listen out take as Which, I was driving across the country. That's right. Deep lyrics. John, Deep lyrics. Yeah, John made me listen to that album. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then I was num- higher on it. Yep. Number which one. I, Oh, go which ahead. I, I'm sorry, which I did I did approach with uh, open uh, an open mind. So yep. um, I didn't hate it as much as I 
thought I was going to. So I will wow. say that. Matt, Matt allowed the whole floor for me to sing Abracadabra. So thank <laughs> yep. you, Matt. Yes. You got it. And then a fitting capstone at number one this week, 11 weeks on the chart. It's Jack and Diane by John Cougar. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, you want to take it to begin with, Matt? Little ditty about Jack and Diane. Two American kids doing the best they can. <laughs> Jackie going to be oh, a yeah, football star. Life goes on. Oh, good. Long like after the thrill of living is gone. <laughs> two, two John Mellencamp songs to bookend, huh? I know, yeah. Right? One and wow. ten this week. Was that? Was, was they he up, John was that? Mellencamp? John Cougar Mellencamp? No, he's Cougar, Cougar in 80, he's, he's Cougar John in 82. He's Cougar according to this chart. So he hasn't Just John Cougar. Over. So yeah. no was that on Scarecrow or was that the album before Scarecrow? I can't, I think Something it was Houses? Pink that's, houses or that's a good was... question. I did not look. Well, we what's clean that, that stuff. What's the what's the houses album from him? It's something houses, right? That's the the name of one of his big albums, along with Scarecrow. That's is gonna drive me nuts. Um, yeah, Scarecrow is from '85, so uh, I think it's whatever houses is the album from '82. But he had an album in '79, just called John Cougar, American Fools, 1982 album. Okay. okay. So what am I thinking of with houses? I don't know. No. Crowded house, John? Are you thinking of crowded house? That's there's house. <laughs> no, no. Um, let's see. John Cougar Mellencamp. John Cougar Mellencamp has a song called China Girl. Is that a David Bowie cover? Could be. Pink Houses. Hmm. Yep, there's a song called Pink Houses. I don't ah. know if it's from an album, Pink Houses. It doesn't so. appear to be on American Fool. Okay. It's 83 is when it came This out. is a big album in 82, huh? It's two top 10 songs on it. Right on. Mm-hmm. Good job, Cougar. There we go. He All did right. it. Pretty good, man. That, that, yeah. I think I was able to get 8 of 10 this week, which has got to so. be a peak for me. Yeah, yeah. the Outliers being uh, Eye in the Sky by Alan Parsons and Melissa Manchester, but I think we got everything yeah. else. And for Matt, couldn't get the Chicago one, but I, yeah, I picked I it did. up on I, that I know that song. I just don't know it by name, I guess. So Yeah. Well, when you hear it, you'll be like, oh, this sounds like the glory of love. It does, Whenever yes. Whenever you want to do Peter Cetera, <laughs> just go, I am the liar, <laughs> <this> guy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and then you're pretty safe, yeah. All right. And that takes us into, as they say, the terminology, seg one of the show. And seg one for us is old Donald Fagan coming back at us with the music. And I believe Matt gets to handle this bio, correct? I do. Yep. So in the uh, opening montage, you heard a clip from New Frontier. I'm sorry, this is Donald Fagan's album, The Nightfly. I don't know if that was mentioned, but the opening montage, you heard a clip from New Frontier, and now you're going to hear a clip from IGY. So Donald Fagan's The Nightfly comes in at number 98 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 9 in 1982, number 657 of all time. It is Donald Fagan's highest rated album on Best Ever Albums, and he did not make the Rolling Stone list. Uh, so as I think John mentioned earlier, we covered a little, we covered some Steely Dan in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one full episode, one cold listen, and one emergency cold listen <laughs> yes. that Josh and I did. <laughs> A when, frozen uh, listen. Yeah, the frozen, <laughs> the, the frozen listen. 
that we did uh we did uh was it um can't buy a thrill was the uh asia mm-hmm. and then asia was the proper episode and then we did uh gaucho, gaucho right gaucho yeah. was the was the emergency one so AKA this is yachts and cocaine yachts and that's cocaine like that's right <laughs> Yes, lots of yachts, lots of coke. Um, so this is Donald Fagan's first solo album. It was released on October 1st, 1982. And this album is known uh, as an early example of a fully digital recording in popular mm-hmm. music. So this is one of the first fully digital recorded albums. Um, and a little history on Donald Fagan. He was born on January 10th, 1948 and uh, in New Jersey. And, and was it Passaic? I think mm-hmm. I'm saying that right. Passaic, Passaic New Jersey. Um, is that near you, John? No, it's uh, it's a uh, North Jersey. North Jersey, up toward New York. Yep. I North was Jersey boy. Jersey. Yep. Mm-hmm. Got it. So uh, around the age of ten, his family moved to the suburbs in Kendall Park in South Brunswick, New Jersey. Uh, this was not Which something was that very famous throughout the late seventies, eighties, and early nineties for the roller rink Kendall Park in it, where oh. yours truly played some street hockey. So oh, nice. it is it is kind of in the middle of nowhere, as much as you can be in the middle of nowhere in New Jersey. Too. There you go. Um. And this was not, he was not happy with this move. Uh, He later recalled that, quote, it was like a prison. I think I lost faith in my parents' judgment. It was, (laughs) it was probably the first time I realized I had my own view of life, um, end quote. And uh, as it comes, as it comes to find out, this is a major theme in this album. The Nightfly was uh, inspired by his upbringing in this suburban area of New Jersey. Hmm. Um, so Kendall Park would probably seem rural to Donald Fagan, especially considering okay. considering what Passaic is, which was more mm-hmm. of a New York City culture. However, rural in the sense of New Jersey is always, of course, a unique context that you're only so rural, right, in New right. Jersey. But it is it is a more bucolic environment. They don't, yeah, got it. Um so he was interested in rock and R&B at a young age, but when he was 11, a, con- a cousin of his introduced him to jazz, and this is kind of where he just falls in love with, with jazz overall. He goes to the Newport Jazz Festival, um, and he became a jazz, what he, a self-proclaimed jazz snob, saying that he lost interest in rock and roll and started developing an antisocial personality. Um, and so he would regularly take uh, the bus into Manhattan to see les- legendary jazz musicians such as Charles Mingus, Sonny Rollins, Thelonious Monk, and Miles Davis. Uh, he picks up the piano and the baritone, which he played in his school band. Um, and he graduated high school in 1965. He then enrolled in, at Bard College to study English Lit. And that's where he met Walter Becker in a coffee house in 1967. And Walter Becker, of course, is the other uh, main member of the band Steely Dan. So, um, so that's just there. Not a ton of history on uh, on Donald Fagan, but he's what, certainly into the jazz. When he meets uh, Walter Becker, and what they is form the Steely baritone? Dan. I thought that was just a way of singing. No, the baritone's a uh, brass instrument, and oh. it's kind of like a mini. It's it's basically like a mini tuba. Oh, um, okay. It's got three valves, and it plays it plays similarly to a trumpet, but it's a it's got a deeper got a deeper uh, tone to it is it um, shaped like a tuba or shaped it's like kind of got yeah it's i mean it's not as big obviously as big but it's kind of you, you hold it okay. upright over your shoulder oh, and, the, and the bell is above you so interesting um, okay yep so uh so so anyway if you want to hear more about steely dan 
go to our episode on Asia. We're going to fast forward. Um, so basically, Steely Dan breaks up in 1981 um, after somewhat of a falling out between Donald Fagan and Walter Becker. Uh, this was in part due to Becker's drug addiction. Um, and Fagan decides he's going to go off and do his own record. He brings many of the musicians um, that were used in previous Steely Dan records onto this album. So this is kind mm -hmm. of like, this is like a Steely Dan, you know, uh, uh, take two, uh, yeah. you know, kind of album for it's that doesn't sound sonically all that different from what Steely Dan was doing. Uh, but the most, like I said before, what this is mostly known for is the, uh, is, is the digital recording nature of this. Um, they also used a couple of new, uh, recording techniques or, or different, different pieces of recording equipment that were never really used a whole lot before. This included a 32 track recorder and a new, what is called a Wendell two drum machine. Um, and I guess the, the, the studio, the band members had trouble aligning the equipment together and they actually had to call in a representative from, uh, the company 3M which is the manufacturer of the 32 track recorder to come in and do so. Um, and so what they, and they eventually decide to actually send some of the band members to uh, 3M to take classes on how to align this equipment themselves. Oh, wow. Um, and on several occasions, Fagan was just like, guys, let's just do digital. This is a pain in the ass. But the other musicians convinced him to stick with the digital. Um, so he did that. Um, uh, this album was was hard to record. Usually Steely Dan recorded live, but Fagan recorded several overdubs for this record, um, and that made it even more challenging along with the new equipment. Um, so, uh, But they finally came out with a record, and uh, the, like I said, the lyrics are a little bit more autobiographical and less biting than Steely Dan records. Uh, that's mm -hmm. due, to the, due to the fact that Walter Becker's not really in the band anymore, and he was kind of a little bit more of a, uh, I don't know, I don't know if, if he was kind of... Uh, had a little bit of a of a of an edge to him a little bit more than Fagan did at least terms in, in terms of the lyrics um and this album's also a little bit more jazzier than Steely Dan records mm -hmm. um so it's known as one of the it's widely considered one of the best recorded albums of all time audiophiles love it and it's very pristine production um it was nominated for a Grammy as album of the year it did not win that actually was taken home by Toto with their album Toto 4 nice. um I don't know if we're down in Africa. Yeah, seriously. I can imagine uh, that was also an immaculately produced album. Yes, I, I yes, yes. This, is the, this is the time of that. I, and uh, so Fagan, that was basically all I have on this record. He released three other solo albums. Um, the most recent one was 2012's Sunken Condos. And he still tours today as Steely Dan. He's like the only, Steely Dan is touring and he's really the only member because Walter, Walter Becker did die several years ago. So um, that's about all I have on uh, the Nightfly. And I think we'll start our takes with John this week. What do you think of, uh, of Donald Fagan here, John? So I'll be honest with you. I was prepared to hate this album because <laughs> it had a well, lot of like features. Well, you like Steely Dan, really. I didn't dislike Steely Dan, but at no point with Steely Dan did it transcend to like, ooh, you know, I um, I love this album, right? I mm -hmm. Can't Buy a Thrill was probably my favorite, um, and then Asia would be second. and the, So each album that was going, right, got a little yeah. bit more, I mean, I hate to use a cliche term like Yacht Rocky, but it definitely, I mean, you just called the, you know, the Gaucho album, you know, Yachts and Cocaine. So there's something to that. Um, I like this album more than I thought. Um, the first time I listened to this album was actually, it's true story. I listened to this on a, a red eye plane overnight. I figured let's give it an initial listen. Mm. 
uh, and I said, you know, it's called the Nightfly, so maybe it's a yeah. theme. And it does, it does have the feeling of like an insomniac's, um, like music. You know, when you're staying mm-hmm. up at night and you're thinking, kind of the vibe. There is a little bit of that, and I've made mention a lot of times of night albums in the time that we've been doing CTS, and there isn't a specific sound that I associate with a night album. It's just sort of albums that seem to hit better at night, right? And the one I always... There's been many I do, but the first I can remember ascribing that to was like Scott 4 by Scott Walker. Mm -hmm. Um, This doesn't sound like that, but there's, there's something about an album that feels like it was designed to be listened to at night, and that's kind of lyrical content wise and sound wise i feel a little bit of the theme i got for this album because it does have a little bit of the idea of someone staying up and pondering life a little bit even the 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 photo on the front is a guy who's in like a dark area sort of listening to a a like a record player and he's got a cigarette and it seems like he's at the end of a day and he's unwinding a little bit and um you know songs especially like green flower street and the nightfly evoke that theory i don't know if you guys got that vibe from this album well that yeah yeah, that album cover he's actually he's got a microphone there he's like kind of like a dj and if you look at the clock it's 10 after four and it's not 10 after four in the afternoon it's 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 a late night and it's supposed to kind of represent because that's what he would do is listen to like jet like stations at night as like a as a young as a young kid teenager whatever and he would like stay up and late and listen to that. these jazz yeah he so that's that he's later. kind of like an homage yeah. to that on the cover mm. yeah so it's four in the morning that he's correct yep. yeah and I, I didn't even see that on the clock but it makes sense because i got that fi- and he by the way that was a theme for stuff that he did in steely dan too he would make that and i even remember it wasn't like a part of steely dan that like they'd all do drugs together like all night and listen to music wasn't that one of the albums we covered i feel like that was part of the creative process was let's do a bunch of drugs late mm-hmm. at night. Um, and, you know, no, no judgment there and stuff. But yeah, I I wouldn't say this album transcended to me to, wow, I get why audiophiles like it because the production yeah. is immaculate. Yeah. Like, it almost feels as if, like you're like when we edit the podcast at a much smaller level, Josh, but you know when you get particularly inspired and mm-hmm. you... You know, you're mixing the audio and trying to get it just in the right things, but you realize maybe I've got an hour's worth of time for that. And you realize there are some people that can spend weeks and months doing that. Mm-hmm. And you get an appreciation for, you know, how intense it seems with an hour of doing it. And I, I get the feeling that Donald Fagan has a little bit of that, like in him or people around him as well. So there's a sort of a perfectionistic sound to this as well. But the music sounds so leisurely and casual that it belies you know it's it's an interesting juxtaposition isn't it like casual easy listening music with this very methodical sort of production to make it sound so breezy and casual so um i think i'd give this a slight thumbs up i I mean i can talk about this more i just don't want to step on things i think i would give this a slight thumbs up because completely inoffensive at times uh, there were some earworms in here, especially IGY and Ruby Baby were the two that really got stuck in my head. The second time I listened, Walk Between the Raindrops, the last song, also mm-hmm. embedded mm-hmm. itself in my head. So, um, And that's a sign of a good record for me, is when I stopped listening to the album and then bits and pieces. And in this case, it was bass lines kind of stuck in my head after I was done, which was kind of the case with Steely Dan, too, come to think of it. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, 
I um I have a sl slight recommend on this as well. I, I took a glance and the personnel on each of these tracks are, is like insane. They're like yeah. all like the best studio musicians of the time on this album. And, and that's par for the course with Steely Dan. Um, you, you were right, Matt. This is kind of like an extension of Steely Dan. It's, it is, I guess, I'd have to listen to the albums back to back, but I, I agree. I think it is a slightly jazzier and it almost feels like a modern a modern for 82 jazz album in some ways it's it's got this light feel i know john you said at night um listening to it at night i got the same vibe i thought of it as like a, an album or a performance that you would hear in like a smoky club or something at night and mm -hmm. that i think that's probably what he was going for it, i felt like it was even more intimate than that like i didn't feel like it was designed to be listened outside of your space i felt oh, like it was designed to be listened in like a home private environment kind of is okay. the vibe i got from it yeah so like a late night radio dj too that's kind of also based on and the yeah cover. when matt told that story yeah. it makes sense because that without even knowing that story josh honest to god i didn't do any work that's what it sounded like to me yep. like as if you were listening to a guy like playing, delilah <laughs> yeah we talked about quiet store right like <laughs> yeah. music but it's like kind of a little bit like that like it's three o'clock and you know we're, we're helping you wind down, you know, you have your cigarette or you wake up, you know, you get out on the porch, you know what I mean? Or you're just laying sort of in your thoughts and, uh, you know, in a time pre cell phone, internet, every cable channel, you know, and you kind of had to find stuff to occupy you, but you didn't have all of these instant vessels. So putting on an album was one of the high stimulation stimulation environments, right? So mm -hmm. it's kind of funny to think about that now, because now it'd be like, I'm going to go on my phone or go on the computer or you know right even drive to get mcdonald's or so yeah like all kinds of things there it was like all right, i'm gonna listen to music or read a book or take a walk you know mm -hmm. watch one of the six channels on tv so yeah, yeah the channels that end at midnight or whatever. right and yeah that's what i'm saying there's only about six chat and half of them you know are probably not even playing anything you want so yeah 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 and this album is really all about the vibe for me i it's it's very smooth. Um, there's a lot of instruments on each song or a lot of different instruments and sounds. You've got horns on IGY. There's some organ synth. There's a, there's like this on green flower street, which is the second track. It's got like this, like, I think it's the, I don't know what they're called, but it's like the metal, the metal tines that you played on the, on the drum that are like the like forks or whatever. That like, that's like what is, it's like this jazz beat on, on green flower street that i really liked um ruby baby has has piano and there's some harmonizing and it's it's kind of like a more upbeat fun fun tune and then you've got a ballad in maxine um the two songs that they got in my head john were new frontier and nightfly so it's interesting that those weren't ones that you named um that that bit in the chorus on nightfly where they go an independent station wjac <laughs> like i kept saying that yeah. in, the, in the foot of mount balzoni um yeah. maybe that's why i was able to connect to the radio vibe because that yeah. was in there come to think of it yeah it, it takes its time but it's like a really uh fun fun song to listen to this album kind of won me over i think in the way that the steely dan albums did and uh, I agree. Walk Between Raindrops has this upbeat um, tune as well. And it's it's got a Miami setting. Um, the themes on the album seem to be kind of like, you know, reminisce, almost like nostalgia or writing about like love, love 
in the past um, or missed love or something like that or uh, unrequited love and and then also setting like walk between raindrops uh is kind of like a beach vibe in the miami um sound they're talking about driving around miami or something and it is um yeah it's it's just a it's kind of a a relaxing listen it wasn't hard i'm not sure i would listen i would like appreciate like individual songs popping up as opposed to listening to the album straight through i think it, it would work better or i would appreciate it in the future like just hearing it apropos of you know or or on some other kind of mix or something i think i would appreciate it that way but yeah i definitely got the jazz vibes from it and and the talent um he's definitely talented and this is a certain this is a very like specific type of sound compared to other albums that we've listened to he's filling a niche and probably some other artists in that like jazz crossover with like smooth jazz or like soft rock or something and um yeah, so I, I, I recommend this too. It didn't blow me away, but I and I respect the personnel and kind of the what he's going for, but it's it's no like compared to like Iron Maiden, it's not like blowing my socks off or anything. You know what this is not, Josh? Post punk. Yes. That's true. <laughs> One of the rare albums I feel like we've done recently. Yeah, it really. is decidedly not post punk. <laughs> yeah. So yes. Matt, so I, I agree with you guys in that there were several songs or parts of these songs that that um, would stick in my head or would just would, would get there very quickly. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm going to disagree. That was not a good thing for me. That was an annoying thing. <laughs> just because something sticks in your head doesn't mean that's 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 a good thing. Um, this album, uh, my patience is worn thin with the Steely Dan sound. Um, I. I did not feel oh, this wow. record. I, I, I. It, it just, it's, it, it just suffered too much from that the production. I know that's the the amazing thing about it, but I was just like, gosh, it's just, it's going back to what, as John described with Gaucho, it's that that elevator type music, the the really mm-hmm. soft, you know, you know, kind of production, and it just there wasn't enough here for me to really um, to 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 be positive on. Uh, I thought thought there were parts of IGY that was good. I thought parts of New Frontier, parts of Walk Between Raindrops. It was like okay, but I don't know. I just I got that the 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 vocals were annoying to me. It was kind of like, and I think that's what they were doing. It was there were several vocal vocal parts harmonizing together. Um, but it was almost like, yeah, they were doing like radio ad bits and they were scooping the voice level. So I, it was like, you know, and it's just, it it was annoying to me and it wasn't, it didn't really, I was like, God, I just, so, um, I think that I've really given Fagan, Becker, uh, Steely Dan a fair shake. I really Mm -hmm. did like can't buy a thrill because that was just it was a little bit different. It still was a softer kind of production in a very clear, all their stuff is a clean production, you know, but um, that to me was a little bit more inviting. It was a little bit more interesting. It was a little bit more, um, I don't know. I don't I don't know if I want to say varied, maybe, but I just, and I was also surprised. I was like, Oh, there's some of these songs that have always been in the background that I, um, that I kind of, I'm feeling now for the first time. Uh, I gave Asia a lot of, lot of listens because I've heard so much about that. that. Yeah. I gave that a lot of listens and it, I warmed up to that somewhat, I think. Um, Gaucho was kind of there. I got, to, I think my comment on Gaucho was like, I think if anything, what, what I've, what I've come to with this listening to Steely Dan and this type of music 
in this podcast is when I hear it now, I'm not so like um, like vehemently like against it the mm-hmm. way that I might have been last year, right, before we covered it. So I've, I've learned to listen to it a little bit more, and I still feel that way. But, like, I just – this week was – it was not a good week for me to hear this. It's just I, I never got in the right mood. I didn't I didn't want <laughs> to – irritated or angry? Like, I, I, just like yeah. – no, I don't even know if it was that. It just is like I didn't want to put in the work to get – like, I was okay. I was determined to put in the work with Asia because I've, mm. I've heard so many things. I'm like, what am I missing? i got to figure this out. And I put this in, and I was like – okay, this could be a similar thing. And I just don't want to do that, man. It's a, it, it just took a lot. I just, it didn't, it didn't grab me. There were a couple of parts oh, okay. that were okay, but I'm just, yes. And it's got that feeling. I'm sure like the, you know, l- reading about it after the first listener to about like, oh, it's, you know, it's this night, late night feeling kind of like, you know, disc jockey yeah. radio kind of thing. It's like, okay, I get it. You know, maybe if I was up at four in the morning listening, I'd maybe I'd feel a little different or if I was in a different headspace. But yeah, man, this is this is it's still tough. It's still that Muzak type style that's there. And it's just it's zero edge and uh, bits and pieces, dribs and drabs. Certain songs, like Josh said, throw them on a on a mix or something. Okay, but yeah, I'm kind of. I was I was done with this 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 week, so <laughs> wow. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a thumbs down um, uh, wow. on on this record. Yeah. Matt okay. is not the night fly, huh? Yeah, no, I'm the day fly. <laughs> to, 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 in honor of Kendall Park, where um, Donald Fagan hated living, apparently, and the roller rink that was there that I have very many positive memories about. I do feel a little bit of the Steely Dan, Donald Fagan ethos is, you know, many a person had their first loves at Kendall Park. You mm. know, I remember one. They do always feel a little bit like they cheat you a little bit, so... Maybe you thought you were going to get to second base, but you really only get to first base with Steely Dan, and you're left unsatisfied. Yeah. You know, so maybe my roller rink analogy is that you, you you get there saying this might be my first time. I think I'm going to touch boobs, and instead you just get a kiss on the lips a little bit, which is yeah, lovely, it, but it doesn't give you more. Is that a good analogy for yeah, you? That yeah. I, yeah, that works. Yeah, and it just it's just one of those things. It's like I've just I've heard so many people that I know and respect and their taste in music and just like singing praises of this, mm. and it's just it's not gonna. It, I can't it can't get through to me like that. So it's just gonna have to be that um, big. Big up to them for uh, all the all the, uh, the 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 production work is is absolutely phenomenal. I, it's nothing against the musicianship. He's totally a talented guy. It's just one of those things. It's just it's it didn't jive with me. Um, I I could go back and listen to Asia. I could go back and listen to Can't Buy a Thrill. I think I'd leave it at that. I've I've I've, I've I, I don't hate them, um, but uh, I, I just I would not go back to this record. And who else agrees with me? Well, in a, in a way, Donald Fagan, because according to him, he's never listened to this record at, since it's been recorded. Really? So, yeah, that's what he <laughs> Has said. Has he been yeah. sleeping better? Is that what's <laughs> yeah, he just never went back to it. Yeah. So, so to extend the analogy, if we use the, oh, the bases analogy, right? So first base is, is Donald Fagan, Steely Dan. I would say second base is Motley Crue. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would say third base would be Iggy Pop. And Sex in the Bathroom is like Serge Gainsbourg. <laughs> so would that, be, would that be the lyrical equivalent of what gets you to East of the Bases? Or do you guys want to advocate? Because like, I feel like I, I, I'm not sure exactly what you're what – you're, is, is this – are you talking about me or are you talking about like, – No, you know how like when you, when you ran the bases, right? You know what I mean? You know the, yeah. the analogy. No, I, no, I understand the analogy, but like – 
Yes. Yeah. Two Pope plays two life crew is a good one. Yes. So it's just, I was saying like, I use that. So I was like, I was thinking to myself, what would be second and third? Like, you know, Motley Crue is aggressive enough that it's like, oh, I'll take, but you know, it's still kind of comical. Okay. You know, third base, you got to be pretty bold, right? You know, to do it at the roller rink. So that's kind of Iggy Pop, you know, nightclub in Sweet 16, right? But then to go all the way in the bathroom, it has to be a certain level of gaudy. And I'm like, what albums do we listen to that had that level of... Like, like, Ace of Spades. Sleaze. Uh, I still think Ace of Spades is like second or third. I, I feel like you just need somebody. Dude, he wanted just... a bone a thirteen-year-old. Well, no, I'm just saying, but it's got to be the Sonic palette Not with the. Enough. Like, it's just you know what I mean. Like, you have to like the artist has to be someone that you yeah. So I I don't know how to. I think the Serge Gainsbourg one comes to mind immediately. That to me is like, you know, is the kid. Yeah. So. Anyway. So I want to. I mean, I guess, do, is this a band that you, I mean, I guess all bands are discovered, but do you respond to this type of music right away? Or is it just like something Me that you grows no. on you over time? I'm talking about like this yacht rock type of yeah. steely dance. I'm sure there's both. I'm sure people, that, I'm sure Doobie people love, dude, this, sold, this stuff yeah. sold a ton. Yeah. You know, and I mean, the all music huge... guys love it. I mean, they did yeah, a damn, you know, and then it's also making a comeback with like Gen Z because like it's the smoothness and the anxiety busting properties I think of it. Mm. I mean, you've heard probably recently Steely Dan's having like a renaissance of oh, really? coming back. Yeah. I mean, it's been like, they're being cited as like a band, you know, they're being sort of repurposed as one of the substantive acts of the seventies and eighties by younger people, you know, uh-huh. kind of like when you'll hear like Gen Z and they'll say like the Backstreet Boys are iconic and you're like, wait a second. Like I lived through the Backstreet Boys. They're mm-hmm. fine, but there was nothing iconic about them at the time. But if you, you know, 25 years later and you know that song you don't know a lot of others hmm. so but no do i respond to this like no it kind of washes over me right yeah that's yeah. kind of how i feel about it mm-hmm. and okay. obviously matt in particular doesn't respond to it because he eh. had a visceral dislike there i need i needed i yeah way. in order in order to kind of get there i was like yeah i kind of like this i had to i had to put in some homework so um <laughs> which is okay i'm not i'm not against music homework it's just i yeah. gotta is that I like gotta, kissing any of the michael mcdonald either because you, you <laughs> stayed away from the smoothness of michael mcdonald I, I did stay away from the smoothness of michael mcdonald that is true but um yeah i liked him in peg i liked that song <laughs> 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 uh, sorry. all right well, well, <laughs> I, I have a feeling Steely Dan fans are going to really hate Matt after this segment. That's okay. You know what? I was trying to be respectful. I, I, and I and at no point in my in my you know panning of any album do I ever say this band is totally shit, right? Yeah. And they suck. Yeah, it's all right. it's all like it's all like look. I get I appreciate certain things, but as far as just like if I'm going to put this on, am I enjoying this? No, I'm not enjoying this. I, I just get the know. feeling there's going to be comments like you're an idiot. You don't realize the production. The production <laughs> I, I on don't. this is standard. The Ace Modulator 765. Yeah, Can you hear it in no. this? Do your homework. I no. feel like that's going to be yeah. <laughs> I, I I've done enough homework. Uh, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I, I, I trust people. you. I trust you, audiophiles. You know what you're talking. I don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, I still don't want to listen to it. Do me a favor, audiophiles. If you've been annoyed by Matt, please send yeah. comments so I can funnel to him with different stuff so I can make sure. I'm a good. He... I am a good guy. You know. I, I. You know. I'm not like a jerk. I'm not trying to. You know. But it's. Uh, yeah. I'm sure there's stuff that they don't like that I do. So. Yeah. That's you know. True. That's true. That's, also, that's, that's why this is all wonderful. You know. We can. <laughs> we can just share our thoughts and. People can take it however they want. Speaking well, of audio, audio files, uh, mm-hmm. the CD 
was released as a format in October of 1982. I read this. Oh wow! Week. So that's oh. apropos of of this in uh, this year. And uh, let's move on to Duran Duran. Let's. <laughs> so, Duran Duran, Rio. In the opening montage, you heard "Hungry Like the Wolf," and now you're going to hear the last track, "The Chauffeur." All right, Staddy Maddie, what is the... Uh, <laughs> That's a good one. The stats, uh, on the, song. the stats on Rio from Duran Duran. This comes in at number 92 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums. Number 8 in 1982. Number 600 of all time. It is Duran Duran's highest rated album on Best Ever Albums. And it also did not make Rolling Stones list. Okay. All right. Well, I, I feel like I got a lot of good stuff this week for for this band surprisingly mm. kind of like went all over the place there's a lot of fun things and i feel like this band in a way really unlocks the 80s or the early 80s as a as a pop phenomenon and their and duran duran's kind of intertwining and and reliance on mtv and music video format as a way to to really boost their celebrity and and their popularity um i think they are kind of a a standard and a hallmark for for that sort of thing so i really enjoyed uh, reading about them this week um this is their second album it was released may 10th 1982 and they were a band that formed in birmingham england in 1978 started by keyboardist nick rhodes and bassist john taylor early on they went through numerous lineup changes Um, even before their first album was released. But eventually they settled on the lineup that appears on this album and on their debut self-titled album. Uh, We have Roger Taylor on drums. Uh, He joined in 1979. Guitarist Andy Taylor joined in 1980. And singer Simon Laban solidified the lineup in May of 1980. So there's three Taylors on this (laughs) album, none related. They're all just happen to be British Taylors. I thought that was funny. Um, There's a lot of Taylors in rock music, aren't there? Like James Taylor, Mick Taylor from the Stones. Yep, so... Mm. Taylor Dane, <laughs> the R&B singer. Yeah. Um, Taylor Hawkins. Yeah. Anyway, okay. continue. Well, just pop in when you think of other ones. I'll just keep saying like, every 10 <laughs> yeah. words. Oh, I'll just say Taylor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Continue. Uh, they started getting attention while touring, touring Birmingham and London in 1980 and resulted in a bidding war between EMI and Photogram, the record companies, and eventually they settled on EMI. And... Um, <laughs> yes, the was that the Sex Pistols. Song? Sex Pistols, yeah. Um, around this time, the New Romantic movement started, and I'm um, going on tangent with the New Romantics here. Uh, we've talked about we've name checked this a little bit in the past. Shout out but, super fan Jeff, who yes. is his favorite version of music. So, oh, okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to define it here so we know what we're talking about, um, and and. Duran Duran eventually got kind of lumped in with the new romantic movement as well. And uh, it actually started as a fashion subculture 
from the club scene in Birmingham and London in the late 70s. So it's it's fashion first, um, and then the music kind of came associated with it later. It's characterized by flamboyant and eccentric fashion inspired by the glam movement of, of Bowie, T-Rex, and Roxy Music, combined with the romantic uh, period of the 18th and 19th century, which was, you know, literature and art and, and all of that, which emphasized emotion and individualism, among other things. And androgyny and gender bending was also part of the fashion. So think of um, music acts that became associated with it were ones like Spandu, Spandau Ballet, Duran Duran, Flock of Ants. Yep, Adam and the Ants, Flock of Seagulls, Boy George, and um, those are all examples of kind of if you think of what they look like and their fashion on the music videos and things like Orchestral that. Orchestral maneuvers in the dark were they yep. uh, another? Uh, yeah, okay. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Not sure. Okay. Um, but those are kind of the standouts. There were other ones as well. Ultravox sometimes got uh, lumped in as being part of the new romantics, even though they didn't. Flock um, of seagulls are they new yep. romantic? Yes, yeah. I yep okay. I I said them. Did, did you um, mention? I'm sorry, I missed it. Yeah, I it's okay. And um and the new romantic bands also often use synthesizers, so it kind of also became associated with uh, synth pop, and uh, that coupled with. All of these bands making music videos made them quite popular in the early days of MTV. They all featured heavy rotation um, in that, and that contributed to it as well. Um, However, because this was kind of a UK movement, the New Romantics was more of a UK thing for a while, um, and it didn't really cross over as much in in the US. So back to Duran Duran. Their first album... Uh, was self-titled and came out June 15, 1981 and featured the singles Planet Earth, Careless Memories, and Girls on Film, which controversially uh, was sexually provocative and got a lot of people uh, up in arms, and, and the BBC eventually banned it and released an edited version, and uh, I watched well, the, video, the video. Yeah, yeah, the video had naked ladies in it, didn't it? Well, they weren't, I mean, they were scantily clad and there was a lot of like sexually suggestive stuff oh, i thought they had a topless version oh anyway. if, okay well i watched the official version that's on youtube so maybe there is maybe i didn't watch the the regular one but um this worked in mtv's favor because they played the unedited version and it generated a lot of publicity for them and, and drew eyes to the channel and it would play constantly <laughs> on on the channel uh, all of their singles on this album and pretty much going forward, all had music videos. So they were one of the first bands to kind of capitalize on that and and use that as a marketing tactic. Uh, Later in 81, they toured in the U.S. and Germany and then back in the U.K. again. And by 1982, they were getting worldwide recognition and released this album on May 10th of 82. Uh, This album was a hit in the U.K., and, and they became a sensation it had four singles all have reached the top 10 in the uk the album peaked at number two in the uk uh, rio hungry like the wolf my own way and save a prayer were the singles they headlined in uh, australia and japan and u.s on the tours and then they toured in the u.s again with as the opening act for blondie and and Princess Di named them her favorite band, and the British <laughs> press started calling them the Fab Five in homage wow, to the is Beatles. Very fitting. Yeah, that's their Princess Di's favorite band. Interesting. Yep. Um, however, the album did not do 
well in the U.S. at first, since EMI kind of promoted them as the new romantic band, and that was only in the U.K., and U.S. audiences didn't really know what that was. Um, Capitol Records, which was the EMI's American subsidiary or uh, brand extension, was um, didn't know how to market them. But in the fall of 82, they released an album called Carnival, which was really an EP of dance remixes of Rio um, by David Kirschenbaum, who was a producer, and that became popular with DJs. So then because of that, Capital kind of marketed them as a dance band, and Duran Duran pushed them to re-release the album uh, remixed and remastered by Kirschenbaum with new mixes. So the re-release, coupled with heavy MTV airplay, pushed them into the top 20 on the Billboard in the U.S., eventually peaking at six and staying on the charts for 129 weeks. Mm. So really like late 82 into 83 and 84, like this was like the prime time for Duran Duran. Um, They were one of the first bands to also remix their own albums and be part of that process. So you can hear that. Um, You can hear the U.S. mixes, the carnival versions, and there's also night versions, quote-unquote, which were B-sides to the club's vinyl mixes. Um, You can hear all of that on the collector's edition of Rio, which um, was on Amazon Music, and so I kind of listened to those different things, and um, that's interesting if you're into into that sort of thing. I listen Um, to multiple... Each time I listen to it, I listen to a different version, Josh. Yeah. A little context on that, too. And, And the... I mean, sometimes it's it's obvious, especially with the dance mixes. It's very like uh, just a lot of the music before the lyrics come in or, or repeats and stuff. But some of the stuff is kind of gradual, in my opinion, in terms of like the uh, Manchester subtle. Square demos. Is that yeah? <laughs> stood out. Yes. Um. So the uh, there is some experimentation by the band on this album. There's a fretless bass on Lonely in Your Nightmare. There's an interesting repeating sequencer track on Save a Prayer that you can hear if you listen to it. And on Chauffeur, it's all electronic except for the Orc Arena. Um, and they also... The Orc inter- Arena? Yeah, the Orc Arena, the little like flute type of oh, instrument. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's why I picked it. I like the Orc Arena on that song mm. for the opening. And they also intersperse sound effects throughout the album kind of like the beginning of rio has kind of a weird interesting like tape loop and there's some weird things going on there um uh john taylor actually thought up the title of the album during their 81 tour and thought the album evoked uh wanted the album to evoke the feeling of a brazilian carnival and spirit um can't talk about this album without the cover of the album being uh a kind of iconic cover and recognizable uh, it's by the artist patrick nagel and his trademark style known as the nagel woman and it's considered one of the greatest album covers if not one of the most recognizable it's a very distinct um, artistic style and sometimes so cited as the quintessential 1980s woman on the front <laughs> um <laughs> Also, to kind of different, the band doesn't appear on the front or the back of the album, which was kind of par for the course at the time. They instead were on the inside uh, LP, the liner of that. So I've got a lot of post stuff that um, is interesting. So let's talk about the album, though. 
So who is it? Matt, were you hungry like the wolf for, for <laughs> Duran Duran listening to it this time? So, so yeah, this is um, a very interesting album for me because not only is this, you know, Duran Duran is probably my first like actual artist that I loved. It was like my first favorite band was mm. when I was Duran Duran. And, and this album, Rio, was maybe the first or it's the second i think the first album i ever owned was arena which was a live album yes um that 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 came out after 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 seven and the ragged tiger which is the album after this it's like a midi and i love the song wild boys which is the single off of that Mm -hmm. um and so then i went back and i got this probably a few months later for like my birthday or something so um so i've i've known this album as long as i've known any album really and it's also interesting because i I listen to it all the time because it's one of the only albums I ever had, right? <laughs> right. But then, but then, like when CDs came, and like I never got this on CD, and it just, and I never really listened to it again. So mm. coming back and listening to it this week was like, like talk about nostalgia. Just like holy crap! Like I forgot. Like it's an album that I know really well, but I also totally yeah. forgot about in many ways, except for stuff like Rio and 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 uh, Hungry Like the Wolf and Save a Prayer. Certain like singles or whatever so mm-hmm. um so a lot of the other songs on here were it was a very interesting listen so um so i still like duran duran i still like this album um some things that kind of jumped out at me that um i never remember really thinking about before first and foremost the bass the bass is prominently placed in many of these songs and i'm like here it's like a there's a lot of funk slapping bass that's happening here almost like like a and I know they worked with Nile Rodgers. I saw that that he produced, mm-hmm. he has produced some of their stuff. So like, it's, it definitely has like a chic kind of element to it. Um, but there's a lot of that, you know, that the bass just being very prominent up there, which I which I liked. Um, I noticed. I still feel like with my own way and lonely in your nightmare. Those are songs that like I like the songs, but they're the songs I like the verses. The choruses I think are kind of weak and repet- overly repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but they also have their own interesting thing. Like lonely in your nightmare's got like a interesting kind of like jangle REM kind of guitar in it that I never really picked up on before. That this is like oh this is kind of like a new wave kind of jangle pop guitar, but it's definitely there. So I'm like well that makes sense that they were doing that as well. I just never really put two and two together like that before um i've always really liked probably my favorite song on here is, is save a prayer i just i really like that i love the bridge of that song um and then the deeper cuts like hold back the rain last chance on the stairway those are really upbeat really fun yeah. you know uh songs um I, I my guess I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts on the lyrics. My guess is that the lyrics are not very to me they don't sound very they don't seem very good overall. <laughs> yeah. I will say that. Um and maybe that's a maybe that's a no-brainer, but to me I hear some of the stuff I'm like what the hell is he talking about like, you know. So, um and I I'm not a huge fan there's some of the songs that he's doing like Simon LeBond gets a little too into the scatting at the end of the songs, which I kind of feel hmm. is a little annoying and a little like, what's he talking about? You know, just, you know, skip over this. You don't need to do this. So there's a couple of moments that I'm not that huge on, but overall, I, I mean, this is, this is, this, this album is like, is my childhood. This is, this is the music I listened to when I was like, um, you know, six years, six, seven years old, you know, the yeah. first, some of the first music I listened to comes back to this. And it was fun going back and listening to it as like a 44 year old guy, you know, like almost 40 years later, you know, and like right. my take on it. So I still do like it. And, um, 
yeah, I, I'm a thumbs up. Oh, I will also say it's interesting you picked the chauffeur because that was the song. That was the one song I never really listened to as a kid because I would listen to it. And I'm like, man, this is really slow and it's, ra- it's like yeah. five and a half minutes long. There's no like cook to it really you know so i liked listening to it this week because i was like that's a much better song that i ever gave a credit for but i just I, in my head in my you know i wasn't ready for it or just really cared to listen to it back then but yeah. um i don't think there's not a bad song on here there's just some moments that i would probably be like all right you know could take a take some time off of this or maybe you could stop the scatting or whatever but uh overall no it's very very solid um and uh yeah i'm thumbs up nice. you mean you don't like do, 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 or da, 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 or the variations of that. It's map, not even that. It's like prominent. when he's like, yeah. who, ha, Broadway. Yeah, Come yeah, to, yeah. Get to, uh, uh. Like whatever that song is. If that's well, like, I mean, is that my own way? I think that's on my yeah. own way, perhaps. It's just like, ugh. So I, a little bit of context along the way. Um, I don't know if I ever would have listened to a Duran Duran album, album, right, without doing this podcast. Because to me, Duran Duran operates in three contexts, right? Like they are a singles band, Mm -hmm. they are a music videos band, and they are a, when you want to encapsulate the sound of the early to mid eighties, just pick, you know, the reflex or Rio or girls on film or wild boys. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you could score that in any sort of like generic eighties thing. And it's like, there you go. That's the sound of what it is. Right. So it was interesting to listen to a full Duran Duran album. Um, with that being said, I don't know if my take on Duran Duran varied from what I thought on Duran Duran was going to be. The new romantic movement in general, but Duran Duran always feels to me like like a commercial product to some degree. Like I mm. listen to it and it feels like detached and technically proficient, but I... There is no emotional resonance with these songs. They exist, but like they don't hit any part of my emotional domain. I think that's why when they reinvented themselves in the 90s and they made like Come Undone and stuff that seemed to have a little bit more heart, kind Mm -hmm. of. I thought it was interesting. Or Ordinary World, right? Those songs had a little bit more heft to them, I think probably by design. Um, These songs were, there were were songs like New Religion that I really enjoyed and I wasn't super familiar with it or my own way. And I'm like, Oh, these are, you know, these have really good, um, musical parts. Like you said, Matt, the bass stood mm-hmm. out, you know, the, the, the slap bass, the, you know, the sort of freeform bass. Um, I'm not a huge Simon Laban fan vocally or Ooh. style. Like you mentioned, um, it just, there's just, I think the thing that holds me back with them a little bit is I just, I, there is no emotional connection with me on these songs. Like yeah. if I'm listening to Rio, like I have no concept. The only concept I have of Rio is the music video of like, re, like the woman on the bow of the boat, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> right. the, boat. the only it's concept bad. I have of Hungry Like the Wolf is the band in like high fashion in a theoretical jungle, you know, like I... Like, I don't create my own soundscapes with these musics, right? Like, it's visions, right? I think that's why the videos were so important, because they basically gave you the visual with it. Um, We've talked before about, you know, Steely Dan and what we were calling Yacht Rock or stuff like that. New Romantic is a tough um, genre for me, because I feel iced out a little bit. Um, Now, with that being said, um, this album is right in the middle for me, um, in the fact that there are guitar parts 
in this and bass parts that I really like musically. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on, synth, you know, synthesizer wise. It's another extremely well produced album. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, most everybody I think knows "Hungry Like the Wolf," and I would argue "Rio," right? I mean, those songs yeah. were omnipresent for a while, so you yep. kind of stumble into them without knowing it. Um, I think that they have a little bit of a problem of going too long on their songs. Yes, Rio, "My Own Way," "New Religion," uh, "Save a Prayer," "The Show for." I mean, most of this album, I'm like, all right, we're and like the last minute of every song is kind of superfluous i think oftentimes because it's when simon Lebon and the band sort of break down into like an interlude or scat and it just it doesn't seem like it needs to be there sometimes i feel like in my opinion they're also an interesting band in that when they write a hook that's big like hungry like the wolf it's there but then like you mentioned matt some of their songs are oddly hookless um in a way and it's weird that you could write like girls on film or which is not on this album, but I just thought of that as a, or the reflex or stuff, these big mm-hmm. brass hooks, right? And then have other songs that kind of meander without a hook. <laughs> New and Moon so, on Monday. Do you know that song? Oh, that's yeah. got a great hook. It's like a yeah, perfect pop hook. You get what I'm hook. saying? Like they'll yeah, write yeah. like these great pop hooks and then they'll write these songs that like are hookless kind yeah, of. Yeah, Lonely in Your Nightmare is like just a letdown without, of a chorus, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's rare you see a band that is so hook heavy on some of their songs go so hook. That's a good point. Not on others. Like you usually... If you're a band that's hook heavy, even if I don't necessarily love your hooks, you kind of run with those hooks along the way, right? Um, whereas if you're not hook heavy, that's kind of like you either have to bring it in another area or that's kind of weakness of your album, right? So that's kind of my initial take. I get the feeling from your um, enthusiasm, Josh, though, that you really like this one. No, actually, I'm ki- I kind of in the middle and I kind of went back and forth too. Initially, I was like, well, this album's sounds pretty formulaic it, it felt like Laban was singing the same way and when they got to the chorus it would kind of it would always kind of like build to the chorus in the same way and and, and taper off and then like you said the songs went long and um, they would end kind of on instrumentals or or almost like the choruses repeated too many times at, at some point and um, the songs started running together for me too because they sounded so similar i think it happened with due to the synth maybe or the um just kind of the way the songs are structured but like hungry like the wolf right into hold back the rain and and the start of hold back the rain just kind of reminded me of hungry like the wolf and in the tone and the sound i felt that over and over again but then the more i listened to it i guess this is a testament to their kind of pop sensibility I would find myself singing the choruses and like singing along or there would cer- there would be certain things that I liked uh, that I would hear and and tap my feet to and things like that. So I kind of understand why they were so popular because they were in the way that Pat Benatar and some of those other pop bands, they are like perfectly accessible. They are very specific. And I think it's a testament to their music videos too, is that the look and 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 describing like and having the music videos as like reinforcement of what they were about really like helped mm-hmm. them um and i think that helped all of the new romantics because if it's a fashion movement you want to see what the they're wearing and kind of like what that's about it's it's imagery as well as is the sound so i mean hunger like the wolf and rio are are like 
great songs that you will always sing or I will always sing along to and 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 always know and and they have songs later on specifically view to a kill which i cannot get out of my head anytime i hear it um and i'll talk a little bit about that later but it's they are like john said they are they're they have so many singles that that work and they've had so much kind of more hits than misses i mean i guess at least in the early part of their career that 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 carries them through and and i can understand why they were so popular so i do, do I like this as much as some of the other early 80s albums that we've listened to? No, I think it's slightly less interesting than some of the other stuff like like Simple Minds or, or some of the other things that are kind of bridging that line between art, rock, and or, well, all the post-punk stuff that we've listened to. I think I like more, but but this is this is on that line of uh, I get I totally get why it's popular and I mm-hmm. have no problem listening to it. Um, so yeah they definitely had they were like the heartthrob yes that was the other they're kind of like a boy band like it's teen idols for sure like like the Beatlemania almost like you said the fab five you know like the britain like that was that was certainly part i mean they were very image conscious you know about the videos their dress and they were Mm -hmm. yeah they were like crazy 80s here but they were good looking dudes that like that you know and yeah. um so they it fit well with that with that you know the popularity that makes sense i was surprised i'm surprised that this is ranked 92 of the decade you yeah. know like for <laughs> for because i never thought that duran duran was a critical critically acclaimed band so i was kind of surprised to see that on here and i also knew that like like going into this i'm like i, I it's going to be hard for me to be objective on this because it's not mm-hmm. it's there it, this is it, there's too much of me in this album like in my so it's so it's just um it's it's interesting you know playing it in context and listening to it again after with with all these other records but um but yeah it's kind we'll of interesting to, to josh and i then yeah <laughs> there's, not, there's yeah. no nostalgia for either of us i don't yeah. think so yeah i didn't i didn't know the the album outside of the two singles. So it's kind of coming into them fresh. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Any- it's interesting that we all got to the same sort of general thing from completely different views of Duran Duran. Like Josh mm-hmm. did the research and connect it. Matt had these childhood things and I was sort of was it at the end. We kind of all said, yeah, pretty much the same without even communicating right. with each other. <laughs> so I don't know what that says about Duran, you know, the Duran Duran, probably it's a, a good thing, right? Because it means that there's a sensibility that mm-hmm. runs through their music. Well, and sometimes music can just be like, yeah, it's like it's, it's got a good hook. It's gets it's catchy. It's danceable. I mean, I didn't listen to all the other mega mixes and all that stuff. I just when I see albums that do that, I'm just like, then no, I I I, I there's very few songs that I want to hear five different versions. Of, oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's just it's <laughs> oh, like it's I, not, I'm the same way. I'm not. I mean, maybe if you go clubbing or whatever, that's like your thing, and you want to hear like a ten minute version of you know, Hungry Like the Wolf. Okay, you know, but like, no, yeah, yeah, for the most, I don't need to go down that. Yeah, I'm not interested in the other versions, but I do find it interesting to listen to the regular and then the remastered. I find that to be really interesting because sometimes it can completely. I always think of that Stooges album that was like a completely different album when I listened to it. So you'll find some gems in there. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad I did it once Josh shared that they remix their albums you know i was curious to see yeah and and i listened to it too because it was so tied into that this album and kind of their popularity in the u.s and i thought it was an interesting different than what we talked about with other bands as well yeah um any final thoughts before i give this uh, somewhat long postscript on them? no <laughs> okay i have uh, none 
So in 83, they, they kind of really blew up. They started out, uh, they played the New Year's MTV Rock and Roll Ball, the, the New Year's Eve of 82 and 83. Um, they re-released their first album in the U.S. with a new single called Is There Something I Should Know? Um, which increased their popularity even more. They were guest VJs on MTV, and Andy Warhol dropped by to say hi. Um, of Ro- course. <laughs> <laughs> Rhodes had said that Hungry at, after Hungry Like the Wolf became popular, there was like Beatlemania for them. They were doing yeah. a signing of Girls on Film, the video in Times Square, and couldn't get out of the store, and the police had to, to block off the street. Um, in 83, I thought this was hilarious. They also became tax exiles and lived in France, just like <laughs> the Rolling Sorry, Stones yeah. and many other bands that we've talked about. Very, in it's Bowie very too, British right? of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, with their third album, Seven and the Ragged Tiger, that was released in November of 83. They now had five different top 20 hits from three different albums in the same year. Um, I thought that was remarkable. They made headlines by releasing the single Union of the Snake um, on video on MTV a week before the song even debuted on the radio. So that was unusual as well. Mm-hmm. And they had their first number one single with, uh, first number one U.S. Um, single with the reflex from that album. That was, and so just to correct you slightly, Matt, that's when Niall Rogers came in on that album. He wasn't involved in the production on Rio. Okay. Um, I, yeah. At some point I knew he produced, I yeah. wasn't sure where. Yep. Uh, they went on a worldwide tour in 84 and released a concert film titled Arena along with the live album that Matt mentioned that had the single Wild Boys that reached number two in the U.S. and the U.K. They appeared on the cover of Rolling Stone in February of 84 and they won two Grammys, including the first Grammy for Best Music Video, originally called Best Short Form um, for, for Girls on Film and Hungry Like the Wolf, and Best uh, Video Film, which is basically from what I was trying to read uh, anything that was released for sale that you could buy like concert or video footage um, or documentary. Uh, I mean, they won for that for a film called Duran Duran, which was the compilation of their first 11 videos. Um, Mm. And at the end of 84, they appeared in Band-Aid's single, Do You Know It's Christmas? (laughs) So they, uh, in 85, the band was kind of in a holding pattern due to everything that was going on and, constant uh touring and i think drugs were involved at some um point also i wanted to mention that they were in their early 20s in 82 when rio came out so they were very much uh still young Uh, john and andy taylor formed a super group with robert palmer and tony thompson of sheet called power station which i had never heard of and they had two top 10 singles from that called some like it hot and a cover of t-rex's get it on bang a gong Mm -hmm. Um, both of which was kind of it was that's a very funky album i listened to those songs and uh but i've never heard them before josh no no I was oh wow underwhelmed by their by the singles and (laughs) some sweat when the heat is on john that has the real fake drumming yes uh, my least favorite type of drumming (laughs) in the world super synth drum yep Yep. Laban and Rhodes then formed their own new wave band called Arcadia, Arcadia. and released a single yeah. or released an LP called So Red the Rose with the single Election Day. Do you um, know that? So- Did you listen to that song, Josh? I, Election Day is a cool song. No, I didn't listen to that. Um, so this is kind of when, uh, well, Rhodes said they were never the same after the break um, when they went and formed their groups. They uh, He said that the groups were commercial suicide and that Duran Duran was never 
the same after that. However, they still kept it together and released A View to a Kill in 85 for the James Bond film of the same name. This is the first and still only Bond theme to go number one on the charts in the U.S. And at the same time, it's the highest uh, Bond theme. It reached number two in the U.K. Uh, That has since been surpassed in the U.K. by Sam Smith's song Writing for the Wall writing on the wall for the Spectre movie and and Billie Eilish's song for No Time to Die also reached number one in the UK. It was the uh, the last song that the original five of them recorded for almost 20 years at this at this point in 85. Um, and then on July 13th, 1985, they performed at Live Aid, the charity concert in Philadelphia to an estimated 90,000 people and 1.5 billion TV viewers worldwide. It was their unintentional final performance uh, for about 20 years. Um, They had planned to um, take a break due to nonstop touring and appearances, but then they didn't end up, um, they didn't continue on in their, this iteration until July of 2003. Um, Laban hit, infamously hit an off-key falsetto note in A View to a Kill at Live Aid and the press call it the bum note heard around the world <laughs> in contrast to Freddie Mercury's note heard around the world at the Wembley Stadium performance um, for Live Aid and he cites that as the most embarrassing moment of his career. Uh, I watched it on YouTube I, I don't think, I'm surprised more artists don't do it um, honestly. Um, really? It's kind of just one note and gets corrected but i mean it's it noticeable that- but i was like i don't care who cares it's not that bad yeah yeah have you ever um, seen the british when somebody makes a mistake mistake in soccer that they're brutal <laughs> you know it's like i can only imagine it's like yeah uh roger taylor and andy taylor then left the band due to tension and exhaustion um they then got new members and they released the album notorious but it didn't do as well as previous albums they were also struggling to escape their teen idol image and gain respect from critics for making more complex music they were going through managers frequently and uh, self-managing themselves at times and then emi seemed to kind of lose interest in promoting the band due to corporate restructuring and firing the president Um, they released an album called big thing in 1988 and then I'm really summarizing. They continued on in various iterations through the 90s, touring and releasing albums. They had a resurgence in the early 2000s when the when the lineup original lineup reunited and they went on a world tour. Um, I think nostalgia was fully in effect here at this time. They received <laughs> well, a let. Go ahead, I'll John. defend that 190s album because like, Ordinary World and Come Undone were pretty big songs. I remember self self titled the wedding album. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it wasn't like they totally were off the grid because I can remember those songs in heavy rotation. Yeah, they were pretty big. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, They were. I mean, they. Yeah, to be fair, they were still definitely making music and and producing things. Um, uh, What was I going to say? They received a lifetime achievement award at the 2003 MTV Video Music Awards, and they released the album Astronaut in 2004. And the first single, Reach Up for the Sunrise, reached number one on the U.S. Billboard Dance Chart. And five on the UK singles, their highest since A View to a Kill. In 2012, they headlined the opening ceremonies at the Summer Olympic Games in London. In 26, December 2016, they lost a court case in Britain attempting to reclaim the US copyright on their first three albums from EMI. So that's a cautionary tale. Obviously, that's those three albums are probably where the, the big money is. Um, yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately for them. Um they are still making music. They released an album called Future Past, released on October of 2021. 
That's their most recent wow. thing. And I'm happy to report that all five members are still alive. And these dudes are all in their early 60s at this point. And finally, they topped the fan vote at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they will be inducted this year in November to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So short recap of their entire career. <laughs> but um, I thought it was especially with the James Bond stuff and all the stats of having five singles at the same time. Like that was pretty remarkable. So, yeah. And it looks like they're all together except Andy Taylor's no longer. The guitarist is no longer with them. Yep. He's the one guy who kind of is not, but he's still alive. He's just doing other things. Correct. He's over so, it. Yep. He's over it. He's no longer hungry like the wolf. No. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, Iron Maiden. Are you ready, my friends? Let's do it. First time we're covering Iron Maiden, and really one of the first metal albums we're going to cover. But uh, before we get into that, let's uh, talk about in the montage how you heard Run to the Hills and how right now you're going to hear The Prisoner. Number of the Beast, the third album from the band. Uh, we're going and the to number become... of the of the rankings, John. Yes. So what is the number to. of the Beast here? The number Matt. of the number of the ranking of the Beast uh, comes at number thirty-five in the nineteen eighties on best ever albums. Number two in nineteen eighty-two. Number two seventy-eight of all time, and it is Iron Maiden's highest-rated album on best ever albums. Also, like the other two records we've covered tonight, not making Rolling Stone's list. So mm. O for three in Rolling Stone tonight, guys. And as you know, we cover the highest-rated album from a band that we cover multiple times, so we will be covering Power Sleeve, the album that follows this, in a future Cold Listen Hot Take. So, Iron Maiden, named after the medieval torture device, as immortalized <laughs> in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, when they, they are placed, told to be placed in Iron Maiden, to which they respond, excellent, and then of course <laughs> execute them, which is bogus, which is one of my favorite Bill and Ted things. Um, Iron Maiden was formed on Christmas Day in Leighton, <laughs> East London, in wow. 1975. I would love to go over all of the various lineups of Iron yeah. Maiden from 1975 to 1978, but I'm not going to because there's thousands of them and people left the band for every reason you can possibly imagine with the exception of one gentleman and that is bassist and primary songwriter yep. Steve Harris, who is the constant of the band throughout the entire run of the band. Hmm. So let's just say from 75 to 78, there's Steve Harris and a bunch of dudes, <laughs> none of whom will end up in the band for their first album, self-titled Iron Maiden. Okay, That lineup in 1978 finally congeals a little bit. So you've got Harris, there's drummer Doug Sampson, there's guitarist Dave Murray, and there's vocalist Paul Diano. Now you may notice I said one guitarist, right? Not yeah. two guitarists, because in 78, they were still only one guitar, one bass at this point. So that is the lineup that records the four-song demo that begins Iron Maiden's viability as a commercial band. So they, re they create this four-song demo, and then they begin to gig off of that demo throughout London. 
as you may imagine, people say this band kind of kicks ass and they become popular enough to self-release an EP called The Soundhouse Tapes in 1979, uh, which sold out all 5,000 copies of its printing, um, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. That obviously garners enough good press that they sign with EMI, <laughs> we just mentioned, mm. in December of 1979. So Iron Maiden is on EMI as the 80s begin, basically, the very tail end of the 70s. Um, Samson, the drummer, departs shortly before their debut and is replaced by former Samson drummer Clive Burr. The band Samson is going to be very important to the Iron Maiden story, as we'll talk about later. But So at this point, it is... Uh, Murray on guitar, Diano as vocalist, and Harris on bass, and now Samson is the drummer. They also add second guitarist Dennis Stratton. He is their second choice, which will become important later when the first choice turns them down. So they are now the five-member version of Iron Maiden that mm. you know will become the classic uh, number of people in the band. The debut album is recorded very quickly and becomes a hit in the UK, not making really any um, effect in the US, certainly, and not even really worldwide necessarily, um, which does not last long. Uh, it's largely in the UK based off of the single Running Free. Um, if you listen to the first album, it definitely has elements of punk rock way more so than this album huh. does. A lot of that is because Paul Diano as a vocalist is a much lower cadence and a much more sort of punk rock delivery. Um, there's actually two songs on this album that we'll talk about that were really written for Diano's register. I'll be curious when we get there if you can identify what they are because they do sound very, very different than the rest of the album. So anyway, Iron Maiden starts on the mother of all years in 1980. They released their debut album. They opened for Kiss on the Unmasked tour. Nice. Um, that's, the, that's the album where Kiss finally takes off the face paint, right? That was there. <laughs> they supported Judas Priest on select dates. So this is right after British Steel came out, right? So Priest is at peak uh, power. And they appeared at the Reading Music Festival in 1980 in front of a gigantic crowd. Um, also... Two of their music videos on their from their first album, the song Iron Maiden and the song Wrathchild, both awesome songs, if you check them out, were staples on early MTV and were played as amongst the first videos ever on MTV, and they are considered to be the first heavy metal videos ever shown on MTV. Mm -hmm. So they're getting lots of, you know, they're starting to creep in to the consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, they follow up the self-titled in 81 with an album called Killers. It is still... Um, the group that recorded uh, the first one. Um, so we're talking Diano on vocals, Murray and Stratton on guitars, Samson on drums, and then Harris on bass. Um, they tour extensively on the Killers album. One thing to mention about Killers as well is that this is the first album that involves a gentleman by the name of Martin Birch, who is their producer on every other album that they make until 1992 when he retires. So the full classic maiden run of albums in the 80s and early 90s, really the 80s, you know, the, and mm -hmm. then they kind of re-found re their, their niche again, you know, later in the 90s. But Martin Birch is the guy there, and he... Um, He's credited with giving them a heavier approach to their sound, which, if you listen to Killers, is there. Um, 82 brings a heck of a lot of stuff. 
they are do- on the Killers tour, and at this time, Paul Diano um, is heavily into drugs. I think there's a quote where he says he basically was doing cocaine night and day all the time <laughs> and realized that he just couldn't do it anymore. So at the end of that tour, he is sort of released from the band. It's kind of a... It's not a mutual decision, but I think Diano realized he just couldn't, you know, do yeah. this anymore, touring and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. It was involuntary in the sense that I don't think he asked for his release, but I think everybody knew. Harris was also chafing a little bit at, like, he wanted a little bit more uh, vocal range and um, sort of epicness in their tracks. And Diano, like I said, was more of a straight-ahead singer, more punk rock singer. So Diano is now gone, okay? Um, Stratton leaves the band due to creative differences, the second guitarist, and he is replaced by uh, the childhood friend of, uh, it, uh, of, of members of the band, and that's Adrian Smith, who becomes the second guitarist. Adrian Smith was actually asked to be the guitarist when Stratton joined, but declined due to his commitment to his original band. They hold uh, auditions, and another Sampson member, Bruce Dickinson, becomes the lead vocalist on this album. So Adrian Smith, as second guitarist, and Bruce Dickinson both make their debuts on this album. Obviously, two game changers, sonically, (laughs) in their sound. Both of them have very identifiable both vocal and guitar range, and this is where they kind of become the triple guitar attack as well. It becomes a piece of the band's deal i should mention that eddie the band's uh mascot the skull that you see on all the iron maiden albums mm-hmm. uh originated on the first iron maiden album so he's there throughout all of their albums and he is <laughs> he's a prominent part of their stage show both in iconography on the stage and live action versions of him as well um uh the number of the beast is their real breakthrough album in the uk it's a top 10 album um it is a top 10 album in Japan and other places in uh, Europe as well. Um, success came a little bit later in the US and South America where Iron Maiden is currently extremely huge. Um, but this was the first time that Iron Maiden, an Iron Maiden album made the Billboard Top 40 albums. So this is when it comes in. It probably was more known because when Iron Maiden toured the US, they were significantly protested by both conservative politicians <laughs> and religious activists yeah. who thought they were satanic bands. Obviously, the number of the beast, uh, 666, you know, there was stuff like that. Of course, the band said it was ridiculous and was completely baffled by that, you know, reaction slash yeah. conservative thing because, you know, it wasn't literal, you know, but, um, you know, you know how it is. So, yes, they got a lot of uh, press during this U.S. tour because they rubbed a lot of those folks the wrong way. Um, Notably on this album, uh, Harris usually wrote most of the songs, but actually Clive Burr on his last album here with the band got a songwriting credit, and Adrian Smith uh, was credited with writing. Bruce Dickinson also uh, was credited to do writing. However, he was in a fight with his former record label and was unable to add his name to any of the songwriting credits for the album due to that dispute. He then later, though, claimed a moral contribution (laughs) to several (laughs) songs on the album, which I found hilarious. Uh, I won't get too much into the postscript because we're going to cover Power Slave down the road, so I'll 
cover that. That's what comes the next year. They basically release an album every year in the 80s. Um, yeah. But the band tours exclusively. Shortly after this album, uh, Burr, the drummer, leaves, and he's replaced by uh, Nico McBrain is the uh, name of the drummer who replaces him for that album. So there you go. That's a little bit of a bio on Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden. I believe that Josh is our first take on this one. Thoughts on our first Maiden album? Well, I think you were the person that introduced me to Iron Maiden in I grad was. school. So, I mean, I, I'm gonna. It's gonna be hard for me to be objective with this album because it's fucking awesome and I love it. And it's probably like one of the best albums of the '80s. There is no bad tracks on this album. I love it because it's so concise and every song is awesome. The thing I love, I mean, Bruce Dickinson is a defining quality of this band for me his voice is so great and and singular and complements the guitars uh, on this album so well and no one has guitar breakdown slash instrumentals like this band does and I really love um, them throughout the opening songs it's hard to it's hard to describe the the actual instrumental parts but it's such a kind of singular 80s quality of guitar instrumental for me and I also associate it heavily with um, 80s video games for whatever reason I have a lot of songs the sound kind of uh, recalls certain games from Nintendo and and tracks that have stuck with me through the years and I, I think that might be unique to me but that's another reason I like this album so much I, uh, The Prisoner is one of my favorite songs of all time. The opening is the intro to the British TV show, The Prisoner, which was a formative show for me, uh, which I discovered in college and in, in terms of seeing kind of more esoteric, uh, avant-garde in a way, uh, just kind of out there weird TV. Um, and it's, and it's just kind of a great, um, show that doesn't, um, always make sense, I guess. So having that as the opening to the song coupled with um, everything else about it, um, I really like. The other thing, I, I paid attention to the lyrics this time, um, which I've always kind of known, but they do a good job at um, kind of telling stories and evoking imagery, especially in things like um, Invaders, the opening track is about Vikings and uh, 22 Acacia Avenue about prostitution in the red light district and uh, Run to the Hills, which is a classic tale of Native Americans versus white people. And, Genocide, I believe, would be yes. the for <laughs> yes. yes. And, and I think uh, Hollowed Be Thy Name, which mm-hmm. is kind of their most complex song, I would say, and interesting in terms of a guy on death row and then living on through that after being executed and talking about how life goes on and um, it, it has an epic quality to it and it's the longest song in the, the album and I think it like kind of is perfect ending to the whole album as a whole as well I um, I don't really have anything bad to say about this album uh, oh yeah the number of the beast there's the awesome yell that sounds like Roger Daltrey on the who um, that was that's always great to hear and it's uh, an album that I come to again and again in the same way that I feel about like Van Halen and, and later Guns N' Roses and 
you know, the White Stripes and, and many other bands, but, but, um, and Led Zeppelin even. And, uh, it's just, it's kind of a defining metal album. It's, I'm glad it's at 35. It's probably appropriately paced. I'm surprised it's not in the Rolling Stone 500 list. It seems like uh, along the way of, you know, what we talked about with Black Sabbath and, and uh, Judas Priest and some other bands, this is like kind of on the history of metal, uh, a, a really well, important album. John Winter rolled, runs Rolling Stone, and you know his take on like metal, right? Well, he like hates it, right? Metallica existed, and then everybody else is like a contributor, right? And that's yeah. what metal is for him. So yeah, it, it tracks. But um, yeah, it's I I welcome um, more uh, nuanced takes on this album from you guys. So. <laughs> Matt, how about that nuanced thing? <laughs> oh, I've got one, I think, maybe. Um, so, yeah, I uh, like Josh. I, I, I've always known of Iron Maiden. I remember seeing the uh, album covers or, like, I think probably a couple of kids I went to school with had the, the, the shirts. Never heard it, never really knew any Iron Maiden songs. Um, they weren't really on – I didn't see them on MTV. You know what I mean? They were just, just mm-hmm. like, what is this, this metal band, you know, whatever. And it's and it's, and it's I should have liked them because I did like – well, I like terror metal. It's, I mean, I guess so. I, you know, I, I like big guitars. I like that type of sound. So I'm surprised I just never really was curious enough to get into it. But, um, but yeah, but John, same thing with Josh. When we were in, in Florida, John was, you know, introduced us to it. And if I'm not mistaken, we saw fake Iron Maiden twice. Correct. We saw them on – and we I saw them on – we saw them on Halloween, and we saw them on Six Six Six. So, and they were yep. great. How are you doing, Gainesville? Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't think I saw them the second time. You didn't? I, yeah, I think. Well, I saw them twice: the Halloween and Six Six Six. Um, and uh, I love it. I I love this. This is the best metal album that we have covered. Um, I I think this is stronger than British Steel. I think this is. It's different metal than Black Sabbath. It's mm-hmm. Black Sabbath still has kind of the. Um, there's like a blues rock element to Black Sabbath in certain songs, um, and there's none of that here. This is straight up. This is a straight up metal album, um, along the lines of the Nuaba, the new wave of British heavy metal. I believe that this is what's considered yes, in that realm. Of they, yeah, they and Priest and Venom yep. and bands like that. Yeah. So to me, this is just it's it, this is it's it's very melodic. I first and foremost, I mean, which is one of the things that brings it back, you know, to me. Um, I, I, it's fast, right? There's a lot of yeah. galloping, like Steve Harris playing the bass, the way that he played, like I, I or just all of these guys, like how fast they're playing song after song after song. They don't really bring it down a whole lot. Yeah. It's got to be exhausting to do that, you know. But there's a very kind of an like an an urgent kind of galloping feeling that um you know round rallying the troops kind of a deal right um, from the beginning too invaders is like that yeah break and they and they just they have great guitar solos i love the double you know the two guitars layered on top of them i think i talked about this a little bit with uh with british steel how you kind of have the guitars playing the same uh notes um and sometimes there might be a little bit of a harmony but the double guitar playing um not when they're really doing soloing, but when they're playing like just the melody parts of the, I, I always like that. It's a f- really full sound that you're getting here. Um, and uh, there's classic songs on here, like number of the beast and run to the hills that are just really anthemic. Um, I really liked hollow be thy name. That guitar. I agree with Josh. It's, it's probably the more complex part. There's it's, it's more of a prog song. Cause they're kind of hmm. weaving in and out different, different parts that are kind of coming together. But the, 
but the the main guitar part there is just awesome and dickinson's voice is fantastic it's like holy crap and he still sounds like that if you guys hear any of the like the maiden albums that have come out in the last couple last five years or whatever he's still hitting these notes i saw them live like a couple years ago pre-covid awesome performance like they're just it's it's crazy how good these guys are um songs i wasn't that familiar with uh that i really liked um 22 acacia avenue was a really cool song i really like that the prisoner was great too didn't know that that much i love children of the dab just like just with music like this that sounds like this and then to hear him go children of the damned it's just it's, <laughs> it's got it's, that it's, randy rude's guitar and that sound at the end too where they shred you know like yeah easy guitars yeah mm-hmm. it's just so funny and like yeah it makes sense that like of course the pmrc and like the, the you know christian right and you know would be terrified of this music it's like right in line it i don't i don't was this part of the i don't know if this was part of the filthy 15 or whatever it was that not, they no. yeah it but wasn't like filthy it was more uh like the filthy 15 was more pornographic okay right? whereas this is more like this is more like they, yeah, i'm sure they were language, probably right yeah, or, or they is, were accused of like you know encouraging teen suicide or something like stupid Ozzie, like that yeah, all, yeah all basically you know? metal during this period in time right was always at risk for that yeah yeah but uh, I'm with Josh. There's not a bad song on here. I don't. I'm not. I don't know a lot of their albums. I will say the last two albums that they did come out with, like the the, and the most recent one, the, the the Samurai Eddie that they did. Like, if you guys heard that, that album's awesome. So like, I'm excited. I, I you know I, I should listen to more Maiden because it's it's also one of those things too where they don't really they don't vary what they do a whole lot. You know what I mean? Like I'm not expecting much difference from and when we listen to Power Slave or if we were covering other albums, you're gonna get it's very formulaic for them it's a very but they do it so well they own it and it all sounds great um at the heart there is the melody it's like when if you got them if you got the metal the edge of that like the 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 great vocals the cool it's like virtuoso it places you know musicianship and um and then you you put like a great melody behind it that's just like that just is really easy to gravitate towards this is an easy recommend uh and and a great album on thumbs up on maiden yeah, could you guys, before I go into mine, did you figure out the two songs that were sort of oh. written more with the Paul Diamo register in mind? Children of the Damned? Nope. Hmm. I, I was thinking I was thinking Gangland. Correct, that's one of them. Um, and if well, I had 22 choose... Acacia Avenue then? You got it. Yeah. That's the two. They're, they sound okay. a little bit more punk rocky. And that's what Iron Maiden sounds like their first two albums. It's mm-hmm. like metal meets punk. A little bit. I I will go out and a limb, and it, you'll listen to it, and you'll. It is not the formula that you're attributing to it as much, but those there's some really good songs on those albums. So if you ever want an interesting mm. twist on the Iron Maiden sound, um, I would. I love the song Wrathchild. is like a fantastic song on the first album, and uh, Killers the the track title. Anyway, those are some great songs. But this yeah, this is where Iron Maiden becomes the Iron Maiden that you think mm. you know the 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 triple guitar, the galloping sound, every album ending with like an epic ballad, you know, like, cause after this one, like rhyme of the ancient mariners, oh, and power right, slave. Yeah, and there's slave. like, yeah. there's always one at the end of each song, uh, each album, right. That are along the way. Um, this is where that like trademark sound of maiden that they kind of polish. They're not as form like, and I don't mean to say this negatively, but they're not quite as formulaic as like ACDC, right? Like they always have variations on the theme and mm-hmm. their lyrics, as Josh mentioned, are basically very interesting stories. I always find what they write about to be interesting. And they can kind of go in the realm of fantasy and 
sci-fi, more like fantasy, I'd say, um, in a way that doesn't lose me. Um, like some other folks do. Yeah, it's yeah. like medieval. Yeah. It's like medieval, uh, you know, yeah. battles and yeah, right. stuff like that. But it's, it's not personal torment too is a is a common theme of theirs. Mm. You know, like you know, uh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of like dark and bloody too, in a way. Like yeah. the, some of these stories, human human tendencies, like worst tendencies, right? Is right. kind of a, a theme they go and you know, being enslaved. They, they kind of do some of the, like, free will stuff that Rush covers. They've got a little bit of the medieval that Led Zeppelin does, the dark themes of Black Sat. They're kind of like a greatest hits of their influences to some degree. I think what Matt was trying to get at with the sound and the metal here is, you know, uh, there's a lot of metal, like the, the thrash that's coming out at this point, but also they're playing fast, but there's it's like a, a grimier sound. You know, Black yep. Sabbath always yep. has that sludgy yeah. sound. There's nothing sludgy about Iron no. Maiden sound. Like you said, it's it's a little bit more divorced from blues rock. It's fast, uh, even faster than Judas Priest was. Um, so it kind of a lot of the cliches of Iron Maiden uh, of like metal, like the people are Iron Maiden. You know, to some degree, when you think mm-hmm. about it, I I always say if Iron Maiden had a different name that didn't sound as ominous. Like, I can't tell you how many people that I've had listen to Iron Maiden, and they just, I don't think they listened to them because they heard Iron Maiden and assumed they would hate it, right? Because they heard the name and they're like, ugh, Iron Maiden, this is probably heavy, you know, <laughs> like stuff. It's just, yeah. is it, what is it, like yeah. death metal? Or, and like, yeah. I can't tell you how many people have told me that, and then they listen to it and go, whoa, this yeah. is really catchy. It's and, very accessible. Yeah, I don't know if were either of you guys guilty of that before you listened to them or no. I... I don't know if I had like a an initial reaction to being like, oh, like I, this is going to be too much. It just it just never was really on my radar. And then when I heard yeah. it, I was just, wow, this is. It, it was a similar kind of like, yeah, it's really melodic and it's very, it's much more accessible. I thought it was going to be harder to get into. Um, so I guess in a way, yes, I guess I guess that is kind of me. Yeah, yeah, I, I was the same way. I think they just weren't even on my radar, and I didn't know anything about metal, and probably like it started with Metallica for me in terms of knowing a knowing what a metal band was and then it's just kind of well i have mentioned many times that i had friends who had older brothers who had awesome music collections and i attribute mm-hmm. things like punk rock and metal and certain other types of music like music i probably shouldn't have been listening to at eight and nine right i would just be given these tapes by my older brother like listen to this you need to hear this because it's good basically mm-hmm. and so there is a whole realm of metal that was in there so that's how I first came across like Metallica and Slayer from so here what thrash metal was and you know different stuff but I can vividly recall getting a handwritten cassette that had the words Power Slave on it and going to my room and putting Power Slave in my cassette deck and listening to Power Slave and going you know, eight-year-old me going, well, this kicks ass. Yeah. <laughs> what this? And what else do you have? And it's like, well, if you like Power Slave, you're going to like uh, Number of the Beast, John. So Number of the Beast came on, and I'm like, huh, this is all. And then it's Seventh Son, and, you know, it's like next thing you know, you know, especially it, yep. yeah, it kind of opened up doors. And so when I think of Maiden, I think of all throughout, you know, those late single-digit ages, teenage years. Like there was just, like Maiden was always there for me. So if I needed to, and I'd check in on them in the 90s, right, see what they were doing, and it was always enjoyable, um, especially once the mid-90s and early 90s 
uh, you know, the early, basically the early night, then the mid nineties, I, I don't know if you know, Dickinson leaves for a while and then he reunites with them in the early two thousands. So they kind of had a little bit of a slump, but they were always touring. Right. And so maiden was something when I was in a certain place, right? Like I wanted to get pumped up or listen, like I just put maiden on. Right. And you know, in yeah. my room and yep. it was just a staple from age eight to like now, <laughs> you know, to this day, I can still put it on. And so kind of like with you talking about Duran Duran, Matt, like yep. it's, it's hard for me to, to divorce from Iron Maiden because they've just, it feels like they've been around. It's very different than your thing, right? They never were outside of my framework. They were yeah. one of the first, like, you know, bands that like I was turned on to that wasn't from the radio or what I could glean from my own sort of small world, you know, and there, there will be in the eighties and nineties here as we go through, there will be other bands that will get that. Like I was turned on to them by the older brother of some of my friends right. you know, in this case. So credit to Mike Waller, who's I'm sure not listening, but if he's there, Mike <laughs> Waller was the one who gave me that CD. He was my Sherpa into the world of metal. So I'm a lot of credit, but yeah, I mean, this album's freaking fantastic. It's, it's great. And I don't need to be uh, uh, like biased because even if I hadn't had that experience, like I can see no scenario where I would not have thought this album kicked ass. It's got everything I want. It's got big guitars, full guitars. It's produced well, but not overproduced. The soaring vocals, it's designed to be played loud. Uh, it evokes feeling in me. It evokes like a, like a combination of energy mixed with like, like the ominous themes, right? Mm -hmm. Like keep you kind of on your toes a little bit. Uh, Hallowed Be Thy Name is one of the best. I mean, all of these songs are played, like almost every one of these songs is played on like live concerts, which another formative thing about Iron Maiden, you talked about in the earlier segment with Duran Duran, Matt, like these videos, Iron Maiden sold, I don't know how many copies of their, like uh, most of how I processed Iron Maiden wasn't even their albums. It was watching these like concert films yeah. of them from all as like the, the far East or like, you know, yes. um, that they still put to this day. Right. Like where yeah. if you Google like Iron Maiden in like Brazil, you'll see them playing in front of like 500,000 people right. in That's a place insane. where you're like, this doesn't even look like it's a, like <laughs> you could fit this many or Mexico city. Like, and well, then they yeah, show the look at this thing. You're like, how many fucking people? in this thing well, and it's but like it's not even just the amount of people but it's like the reactions they did that documentary yeah. on them and it's like people just crying, crying singing every word in yeah English, just like, like just yeah, just like like passing out not just from like alcoholism or exhaust just like emotional toll that it takes because they are so into this band it's uh yeah that's uh they're powerful man it, yeah, but I can all, remember yeah. watching with friends just these concert videos of yeah. them going back to like the Power Slave or, you know, Number of the Beast or you know, Seventh Son, you know, all the different, you know, Peace of Mind, right? They'd release these concert like clips of, they basically go different shows, right, during the tour and you'd see them play different staples. So I've probably seen like Hallowed Be Thy Name played like, you know, 50 different times at different tours, right? And it's always, you know, Bruce Dickinson, like up on like a ledge somewhere, you know? yeah. Like I am, the, you know, like that. Or rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is. You said, how do they rest? The, like playing so fast, it's during that stuff, right? Right. Where, like Bruce Dickinson's like bending the audience's ear with these tales. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but yeah. The, ahead, ener Josh, the energy is a big, a big um, draw for me on on this album. I really like the energy that they put out, and and um. 
all of their 80s albums are good. So, Matt, if you, I would just listen to everything else just in go the in 80s order. at least. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's just, if you haven't listened to the earlier it. ones, listen to them for context because I'll, I'll yeah. go out and I, I think they're underappreciated, their early albums. They're definitely not like duds. And it's like, oh, Bruce, you know, Bruce Dickinson comes and they get like, they, they get better. Don't get me wrong. But like, it's not like, oh, they had nothing there. There was plenty there. Right. Yeah. No, it's, um, yeah, and it, uh, earlier this week before before we uh, decided to, to cancel our running event, uh, when I was training, I was yeah, this, it's great to run to and to work yeah. out to. Like I was listening <laughs> yeah. to this, I was like getting amped. I was like, oh, I re- I'm running pretty fast here, you know, because mm-hmm. of the, uh, you know, the, the the energy behind it. So uh, yeah, it's great. And uh, this year they did do Senjutsu, which is the album with Samurai Eddie. <laughs> yeah, Samurai Eddie. Yeah, 2021. So there's still that has. Mm-hmm. That has a song at the end. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> like it's just, and that's. I think that's one of the ones. There's, there's like that's eleven songs album. on it, and they're yeah. all like they're all like twelve minutes Hell long. Hell on like, earth is the last song on the last. <laughs> yeah, that's a great song. <laughs> I, I will vouch for that. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, that's a long freaking album. <laughs> I and and I'll end with one thing. I work in a high school, and one of the saddest things for me is that the collection of kids that are recognizably metalheads has gone down yeah um, you know like you it, it, however and and also what's happened is some of like the iron maiden or metallica t-shirts have become mainstream enough that if you know it used to be you couldn't put on an iron maiden t-shirt unless right. you'd listen to like everything right now you can put on an iron Maiden t-shirt and go i don't even know who they are you know like <laughs> yeah. which is fine you know I, I don't begrudge anybody for that but there's a sadness because for years a uh, uh patented thing i could do to any kid that i wanted to to talk to was go up to them and go what's your favorite maiden album and you'd know they'd immediately peace of mind you know number of the beast you know like seven like they could do it and like there was no one who could wear it and the, unfortunately the amount of kids that are metalheads definitively has gone down a little bit they still exist though and so i long live the metalhead um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There, there should be in every high school a group of kids that are definitively metalheads that will only wear black concert T-shirts, you know, and have listened to every album. And there are there was I just will never forget there was one kid I took a chance because he looked the part, right? And I said to him, favorite favorite Maiden album, and he said Power Slave without. Uh, doing it and he goes i'm going to see them with my grandfather and my father and <laughs> i don't know awesome. who's most pumped up for the so like iron maiden is now officially one that can <laughs> <Yeah>. travel <laughs> through which is awesome because you know i i'm sure those people listened to them when they were teenagers or you know early 20s in the same way that i got to them you know 10 years after mm-hmm. this you know eight ten yeah. years and uh yeah so yeah they're touring right now i believe yeah Go nice. see them before you can anymore, because they are awesome live. Yeah, to they this are. day, they're awesome live. Also, and you know me. I shit all over old groups that are playing, but this is one of the few that I will not shit on because they're still good. Also, I'd uh, be remiss to not point out that they have you know an Eddie-themed plane that uh, mm-hmm. that they fly around in. Dickinson and, actually flies it. Yeah. And they He's also have Iron Maiden beer. Um, that oh, I yeah? That's, that's British. Um British distributed. But have you yeah. had it, Josh? I have not, but um, oh. I've seen the artwork and stuff, so it's they've classic really Iron been, Maiden. They've been bringing it out the last couple albums. They have the one where Eddie's the casino dealer, <laughs> like the live album, which is pretty awesome. And yeah. then just like, you know, there's yeah, all of the Eddie albums are awesome. Their artwork is fantastic, so um, including on this album. So um, this is a classic cover uh, along the way. So yeah, check them out. They're awesome. One of my favorite albums we've covered so far, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll come back in a few mm-hmm. weeks with Power Sleeve. Nice. So. 
All right. Well, what are we coming back with next week, Matt? All right. So next week we are going to be covering um, three albums from 1982 as well. So we're going to uh, Josh is going to be covering The Descendants with their album Milo Goes to College. Um, it sounds like a uh, a uh, a movie from like the mid 90s. <laughs> Yeah, it won't uh, take you long because I believe that's the shortest album that we're going to cover. In oh, yeah? The 80s. Yep. Descendants, yeah. So first time we're covering them. I will be covering Roxy Music which um, with their al- album Avalon. We covered Some Roxy Music in a, yep. in a cold listen. Um, mm-hmm. So this will be the first time we're covering them in a proper episode. And uh, John's going to be doing... pleasure in case you want to go back to the archives. Right, that was the one that we did. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then John's going to be doing the grand poobah of all <laughs> albums, the, uh, the the Michael Jackson's Thriller. Um, Never heard of it. Which uh, <laughs> sold sold at least five copies, I believe. I think so, so give or take. Yeah. Yeah. Give or take 500 million or something. <laughs> yeah. So, so yes. Pretty much. Uh, an album that will be hard to not have... Uh not have objective (laughs) takes on it'll be interesting to like (laughs) listen to it again because it's been a little while yeah it has been listened to it as an entire piece of work so yep so and we have covered michael jackson before by the way we covered off the wall in a 70s Mm -hmm. album as well so we all and we all like that album so Mm -hmm. we did two of two of the uh acts are returners and the descendants are first timers so should be a fun episode Mm -hmm. Uh, any parting thoughts guys before we sign off uh, listen to Iron Maiden. Don't actually step into an Iron Maiden. I'm looking at pictures of them, and it looks really. They really put people in these things. That's freaking terrible. Know, that's crazy. They did lots of things in the <laughs> medieval times. Yeah, I we've guess. come a, fellas. We've come a long way. I'm glad we don't put people in Iron Maidens anymore. What Drawn the hell is quartering is always the one that was horrifying to oh, me. Yeah. Like each what the hell is wrong with people, yeah. dude? Like <laughs> seriously, we are. You know. <laughs> I guess this was the video games of... Uh, of, yeah. of you grew up Catholic, Matt. A lot of this shit came out of that. So That's true. So, That's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is how I got so. confirmed. I stepped into an Iron Maiden. Yeah. Could have so. been drawn and quartered or, you know, confirmed. Yeah. 50-50. So. Right, right. All right. Well, hopefully this episode was not like being put in Iron Maiden or drawn and quartered. Uh, and we look forward to having you next week. For Matt and Josh, this is John signing off. Have a wonderful weekend and be well. Filming the Stacks can be found on 13 different platforms. Viewer feedback can be sent to combingthestacks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at CombingThe and on YouTube by searching for Combing the Stacks and throwing us a follow.